This is the Jason Jones Show, powered by Mudhouse Media. Now, here's Jason Jones. Aloha, everybody, and welcome to the Jason Jones Show. I am your host, Jason Jones, broadcasting from the beautiful Omni Shoreham Hotel, as I saw in a poster upstairs. It's where politics happens, kind of cheesy. But I am coming from the International Religious Freedom Summit, the R, the IRF Summit, and I just finished a two-hour marathon of incredible interviews. I interviewed my friend Faith McDonald first, and then the second interview is probably, no, it's not probably, it's the most important interview I've ever done. I interviewed a young woman named Kabanar. She is Uyghur. Her family, her sister is in a camp. She, This woman, Kabanar, is harassed daily by the CCP through relentless phone calls and text messages threatening her and harassing her. She shares with us her story. And it is, it will be one of the most powerful stories that you have ever heard in your life. Your, your heart's going to break. Uh, and then we interview my friend, Canon Justin Murph and Canon AJ, um, my, my buddy Sehun Kim. So we have a lot of interviews um, all bundled up into a two-hour show. We're going to break the show up because each interview is very important on its own. Um, but I really ask that you just, if you can start to listen to the show right now, you finish it. Uh, it's a very, very important show. And from a, uh, what I think is probably the most important gathering I've ever been to in my life. As you can tell, it's very loud. It's louder now than during the interview because we did the interviews when everyone was in sessions. Now everyone's outside of sessions when I'm recording the wrap-up. So it's harder to hear me now than it is going to be to hear the interviews. But this, this IR... F Summit is a gathering of people from persecuted groups from all over the world, representing almost every ethnicity you can imagine, every religion you can imagine, but what they share in common is they are suffering incredible persecution, and they've come here together to unite, and I always use the symbol of 550 cord, different strands wound together so that they become Unbreakable. This episode is being brought to you by the Vulnerable People Project. Go to thegreatcampaign.org, become a monthly donor, stand in solidarity with us as we stand in solidarity with the vulnerable from the child in the womb to the families in Chinese-occupied East Turkestan. And as always, I'm going to be quick about this, but this episode is being brought to you by My Pillow. Mike Lindell has a special special for our audience, for you. And that's the Giza Dream Sheets. It's buy one, get one free right now. This is a great special. When you, you get the best sheets in the world, um, you're supporting a great company that supports a lot of great programming, including the Jason Jones Show. All right? I love you. I love my tribe. And I really wanted you all to be here. So I just brought my Roadcaster Pro. I set up shop. Listen to this entire interview. Uh, Kavanaugh's story is going to really move you. It's our donors at thegreatcampaign.org that make all of our work possible that it make this show possible. So please do support us. All right, here we go. Some great interviews with some beautiful people. I want, I want to get on the air. 
you having trouble putting on your headphones? <laughs> they pinched me. I'm going to have a They pinched list. you. Aloha, everybody, and welcome to the Jason Jones Show. You can't see it right now, but our dear good friend, Faith McDonald, was giving you the shaka. We are at the International Religious Freedom Summit. That's why there's a lot of background noise. And I have to tell you, I have never been more excited in my life to attend an event. And so I wanted to share this event with you. Although you're, I know you're hearing a lot of background noise, we're going to have several hours of interviews over the next couple of days. And uh, we'll try to clean it up to the best of our ability, but you are going to want to strain your ears, play with your side, with your volume, do whatever you're gonna have to do to listen to these interviews. And so I just think it's perfect that um, I have as our first guest, Faith McDonald from Catartismos, an Anglican organization with a Greek name. Mm-hmm. I love it. <laughs> so tell us about what's going on right here. Oh, well, Jason, it's so, it's so good to be here with you. And uh, the background noise is just the sound of life. It's the sound of people who care about religious freedom around the world. And uh, we're having a great time all together in one place, in the flesh, not on Zoom, and in the Omni Shorm Hotel in Washington, D.C., learning about international religious freedom and why it's important. So tell us about who's here. Uh, well, the, the this summit was the vision of Ambassador Sam Brownback, who many of us n- knew as Congressman Sam Brownback, Senator Sam Brownback, Governor Sam Brownback, and na- and then the Ambassador at Large for International Religious Freedom. So uh, he decided that it was time that civil society put on a put on a. Do you hear that that rumbling noise? Yeah, where's that coming? I'm from? trying to figure out where it's coming from. I think it's this. Ah, well, we won't uh, touch it. Okay. okay. So that better? Yeah, that's yeah, better. Sorry about that. He's uh, Ambassador Brownback decided to put on this summit and got together some of his friends on both sides of the aisle in Congress to be sponsors. Um, we've gotten to hear some of the heroes of the uh, international religious freedom and persecuted church movement, like Congressman Chris Smith, who's also a pro-life he hero. He is my number. Sam Brownback <laughs> and Chris Smith are the best. Amen. Do you know, and Amen. I worked for Sam Brownback, which I'm very proud to say. Yes. Um, it's on my resume. It's probably not in his resume that Jason Jones worked for me. Uh-huh. Probably, I don't, you'll have to talk. I don't think so. That's probably not a true statement. I don't think Jason Jones ever worked for me. And then Chris Smith, who's a great hero. Yes. And then on the other side of the aisle, who's yes. here? Katrina Lantos-Sweat, who is the, the daughter of the late Congressman uh, Tom Lantos, who started the International Human Rights uh, Coalition in Congress. And uh, really... Um, as a, uh, a a man who came from a Jewish background and was well, who was Jewish and was uh, in a labor camp during World War II, but was helped by Raoul Wallenberg, the Swedish diplomat who was a Christian. He he dedicated his life in Congress to helping all kinds of religiously persecuted people, but. A lot for Christians, so um, it's great to have Katrina there. And um, well, Katrina's uh, a very powerful speaker. She is. You know, I was like listening to her talk, expecting her because I'm skeptic, mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay, it's going to be some insincere, very sincere, very, very thoughtful, sincere. very knowledgeable. Her father was forced to be well. Um, 
They attempted a forced baptism on him when yeah. he was in a, in a fascist labor camp. Yeah. He refused and was beaten half to death. Mm. We've been doing a lot of podcasts on integralism. Mm -hmm. Her father was a victim of Catholic integralism. Yeah. What a scandal. But then it was a Christian man, an ambassador from Sweden who saved mm -hmm. his life. Who then disappeared into the gulag, you know. Raoul Wallenberg disappeared into the gulag when the Soviets came and liberated Hungary and uh, was never heard from again. So uh, Hungary actually has a statue of Raoul Wallenberg as, as a hero, too. So, yeah, so it's it's great. Um, a part of our our little team, which Jason Jones is the a Jason part Jones of. Show is a sponsor. <laughs> Thanks yes, to you, yes. we're, we're partners. We are. We're an ecumenical partnership. That's right. And you're, uh, you're just virtue signaling. Okay. <laughs> bring a Catholic, so we look like we mean it. No, bring bring a Catholic as long as he's crazy. Jason Jones, uh, okay. my love. So, so. okay, so, so tell us about our ecumenical little click here yeah, that's sharing we, a booth. We also have the bishop, the Anglican bishop of the Nuba Mountains of Sudan, Bishop Ndudu who uh, is was uh, is the bishop of Kadugli and Nuba Mountains. And you've been to the Nuba Mountains, so you know about that. Yeah, well, what was great about Bishop Ndudu, which he didn't realize, is we've actually worked together already. Wow. And um, can I tell the story now? Please. And I'll retell it with yeah. Bishop Ndudu, because a lot of folks, when you support uh, the Vulnerable People Project or groups like Katatismos or Brad Phillips is the Persecution Project Foundation. People don't always know. Most of what we do, people don't see because mm -hmm. we can't really go banging drums. But mm -hmm. um, And then a lot of times we forget about what we did, right? Because mm -hmm. you just have to move on to the next house that's on fire. Mm -hmm. exactly. And when we were talking to Bishop Ndudu, I'm like, I know we met before. I can't figure it out. When did we meet? It was in 2010. Um, Khartoum, Sudan, was barrel bombing uh, the Nuba Mountains. The Nuba people are a very unique, beautiful people. Mm -hmm. They've been intermarrying religious, like Muslim, Christian, animists for, for centuries. Mm -hmm. and peaceful. Peaceful, yeah. impossible to radicalize in any direction. And so they were suffering this genocide. Khartoum was doing barrel bombs, hiring Russians uh, to drop bombs. Uh, really just to keep them off the farm so that they could starve to death in the fall. So it was very important that we brought the world's attention to this to stop the bombing so that they could go into the fields. And the day Brad Phillips came with evidence of genocide was the last day of the congressional session, which had to be one of the biggest days in the history of Congress. The debt ceiling vote was being the debt ceiling limit. So Brad and I were running around Capitol Hill trying to get anyone to meet with us. And this is not a joke. Members of Congress who we were friends with were saying here, talk to this person. And the only people that were available were 16-year-old interns. So we're presenting 16-year-old interns with our evidence. It's the last day of congressional session. We were running around. We'd already been trying to meet with Congressman Chris Smith. But it was a very important day. He was in meetings. And um, we, Brad and I had to either go to a member of Congress we didn't go to or just try to double back and go back to Chris Smith's office. And I'm mm -hmm. like, let's double back. Mm -hmm. We went back to Chris Smith's office. His staff was like, Jason go away. But Chris Smith heard us through the door. Yes. He opened the door. He said, Jason, I'll give you guys five minutes. Five minutes turned into an hour. Brad had all the evidence laid out. And and he asked, what do you want to do? And, and, and Brad and I are like, we want to share this with the entire house. He's like, follow me. Mm. He puts us in the elevator, the members elevator. We go downstairs to the floor. We go into the Rayburn room. Have you been in the Rayburn oh, room? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so we go into the Rayburn room off the floor, and Brad lays out all of his evidence, which he gathered risking his life because he was there during the bombings. Mm -hmm. 
And thanks that our obstacle, and I always say this, that the stumbling block became the stepping stone. Mm. The debt ceiling vote became an opportunity because now all of a sudden we had every member of Congress, House and Senate, and the Vice President there. Mm. And so members of Congress, Chris Smith, and then um, our friend from New Jersey. Uh, Donald Payne. Donald Payne. The late Donald Payne. The late Payne. Donald Payne and, and, and Congressman Wolf. They would grab members, and in between, the bell would go off, and then they would bring other members who would then go bring other members. Next thing you know, I actually see Joe Biden mm. and John Kerry mm -hmm. and um, all these people leaning over Brad's evidence. Mm. And they're like, what do you want? We're like, we want a hearing. There was only mm -hmm. one hearing scheduled, Hillary Clinton. Senator Clinton had a hearing. Mm. They bumped Hillary's hearing, <laughs> and then Bishop and Dudu presented to that. Did you present at that hearing? No, I brought Bishop and Dudu to that hearing. You brought him to yeah. that hearing. Tell us your your memory of that hearing. Uh, it was it was amazing because you know when when you know that something is happening and yet the world is denying it, you feel like you're like you're the one who's crazy. And then to hear the truth from Brad and from Bishop and Dudu, and to hear from Bishop and Dudu what was happening, um, how his people had to flee into caves in the Nuba Mountains uh, because the bombs were coming down and how, you know, these were these were bombs that, barrel bombs filled with shrapnel that when they ex hit the ground the shrapnel went out in all directions and was killing people like that and even though, you know, Khartoum meant it just as a way to deter people from farming, it was murder and it was, you know, that to them that was just an added benefit to what they were doing doing so that the evil was just incredible and the bishop was courageous enough to come and speak even knowing that he would be targeted by Khartoum and he actually had a fatwa issued against him unbelievable well let's I, I want to make it clear to folks mm -hmm. what had happened is immediately after that hearing that mm -hmm. was on c-span and broadcast all over right. the world mm -hmm. the, the bombing stopped that's right that's right and a famine was averted yes amen it was it was you know that and and that tells us so much about any of these issues that it when we bring the light onto it and when we voice what's truly happening and we call the world's attention we can get things to be changed well in faith you're the perfect example of this this is why you are one of my personal heroes. I actually have already had an icon made of you, and I have prayer <laughs> yeah. cards I pass around. <laughs> yeah, sure. And um, I, you touch stuff, and I sell it on eBay. <laughs> so, no, but this is the thing I grapple with. The struggle between not being a do-gooder that looks to gallivant around the world looking for suffering people to... I'm here as the white knight. Like, you, we don't want to do that, mm -mm, right? Mm -mm. But then we don't want to abandon the reality mm -hmm. that we are citizens of the most powerful nation state in the history of the world. And yes. it's a constitutional republic. It's a representative democracy. Yes. We have a political class that's fallen down. We mm -hmm. have church hierarchy in, any, in every denomination that's fallen down. Mm -hmm. So here we are as we're lay people and we're mm -hmm. citizens of a constitutional republic. And this constitutional republic is the hegemon. It's the most powerful country in the world. Mm -hmm. So if we don't engage, then powerful special interests will engage mm -hmm. and the truly vulnerable are abandoned. You've yes. navigated your life in service of the vulnerable. Can you tell us how, how, how are you, is this something you've just done, left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot? Or do you sort of step back and say, how do I manage my activity to serve the persecuted? 
really know. It's uh, I don't know what you were expecting. I wanted to a master say. plan that I could duplicate. <laughs> well, the master plan is God's. So uh, I do what I have to do, like one day at a time. I see what's what what's in front of me and do what God puts in front of me. But it also has a lot to do with relationships. If something is just about issues, it's not going to keep your attention. It's not going to keep your passion. But when it becomes people and relationships, then you can't turn back. So what do you mean by that? Like the relationships you've made, like with friends that are living in the Nuba Mountains. So yeah, yeah, with with the persecuted, with the people who are vulnerable. Um, you know, it's one thing to to hear about people and to read statistics, but when you know a person like Bishop Ndudu or or someone like Brad Phillips, who's devoted his life to helping those people right in country, then you know you think this is this is what God is calling me to, and how. How can I help? How can I be a part of this? You know, it's great. We called Brad. So Brad's in Africa and Bishop and Dudu's here. Yeah, <laughs> and we're I like, know. you know, hey, Bishop and Dudu, where, where, where are you? Why trading are you? places. Yeah, trading places. <laughs> and, you know, but relationships go the other way too, right? Like, so, mm-hmm. and, you know what? Um, I think I'm going to make a shirt for this show, like, where you have a mob throwing stones. Mm-hmm. I'll get a stick people mob throwing stones at one person alone. Mm-hmm. The one person alone is our tribe. Yeah. So that's the people we've built friendships with yeah. all over the world. The, yep. the people that are alone. But then we've also, by the grace of you live in Washington, D.C., talk about the importance of building relationships with people that work in institutions of power, mm-hmm. you know, and how, mm-hmm. how you've done that and how, how effective that is. Mm. Well, you know, before I started working on advocacy for, for the persecuted, I had no interest in politics at all. And I, I really... It, it isn't politics. It's the it's the governing of nations and the establishment of justice that comes about through the politicians. And um, for me, it was very eye-opening to see who is sincere, who really cares about people, who has come to Congress to dedicate their life to helping the vulnerable, like Congressman Chris Smith or Sam Brownback or Frank Wolf. And there's not a lot of them, Tulsi Gabbard. There's not a lot of them. Scott Perry is another one. I look sometimes, you know, there are some, some who need to be awakened to the idea of persecution, but they're very aware of national security so I like to connect dots for them and say hey you know what if that country will do that to its own people guess what it'll do to us I'm glad you brought that up I'm gonna Mm -hmm. I'm gonna say the quiet parts out loud (laughs) oh no which I always do I know okay in the work that we do like you've been accused of being an international arms dealer (laughs) or or we get accused of being all sorts of exciting and weird things which uh, aren't true Mm -hmm. so here's the here's the question I have for you like so when we work with an embattled group let's just pick a group the Uyghur mm-hmm. so you want to we want to work for the interests of the Uyghur a vulnerable people suffering one of the worst genocides in the history of man mm-hmm. now I always try to put myself in the in the position of the the opposition in this these are mm-hmm. bureaucrats in the CCP's mm-hmm. administration mm-hmm. they see the Uyghur as a threat to their national security to their national ambition correct mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and that's the, that's where they're being persecuted so then we try to get Americans interested in the in the issue and a lot of times it's not that they are Mother Teresa mm-hmm. but that we have to speak in terms of our national interest we have to speak in the terms of our national security mm-hmm. and then this is really dangerous dangerous because at the same time we we don't want the Uyghur 
Do you see where I'm going with this? Like, yeah. So we, we have to, to get people concerned here, mm-hmm. we, ha- we have to speak in terms of our interests mm-hmm. for them to care. Yeah. And then you see a light bulb go off. Yeah. But you and I are not involved in this to advance the interests of the nation state of the United States of America. Right, right. So that's a difficult balance, isn't it? It's a very difficult balance. It's like walking on a tightrope because you've got, uh, if you fall off on either direction, it's bad. But right. um, but I think that it, it leads a lot of them to a bigger awareness. And, you know, the principles of our national security are certainly a lot different than the CCP's. That's that's true. Yeah. And, 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 and I look at it in terms of, um, I, I do believe we have shared interests, right? So mm-hmm. I think a free China, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a free Iran, mm-hmm. a Turkey liberated from this gangster state. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine the energy, the beauty, the power Incredible. in the world? Yeah. Like I want a free and vibrant China. I want yep. a free and vibrant Iran, a free and vibrant Turkey. Yeah. This is in our interest as Americans as just people. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and a multipolar world is something that I think is great for the world. A world mm-hmm. free of strategic nuclear weapons. We'll never see a world free of tactical nuclear weapons. But a multipolar world um, where strategic nuclear war is off the table, mm-hmm. where we think about shared interests. And I think a liberal order, a, an order, what I, by liberal I mean free, where mm-hmm. economic freedom, religious freedom, right. freedom of information, this is in the best interest of regular old folks like you and I. Yeah, yeah. Like you're a very, you, you've had a lot of influence on, 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 on this country. And, and it's not that you were, you're not a Rockefeller with a trust fund, right? No way. <laughs> so, so tell people they can have an influence. Yes. Oh, yes. You can have an influence. Um, members of Congress pay a lot of attention to what their constituents have to say, especially, you know, if they get phone calls, if they get um, actual letters, not just emails. Um, if you come to Washington and talk to your member of Congress, um, you can have an influence. You can have an influence in your neighborhood just helping people to understand you know if they say who is the Uyghur you know explaining to them what's going on and uh, especially those of us who go to church getting your church to pray for all of these people who are in captivity the captive nations of the CCP we call them or people in Pakistan who are in their whole life never gotten out of a brick kiln. They're slaves. Explain that to people. Oh my gosh. The Christians in Pakistan uh, are relegated to the most dirty jobs in the country. That's all they can get unless somehow, by God's grace, they get a higher education and are able to get another job. But other than that, one of the most horrific jobs is that they're they're put in these brick kilns and they are they are slaves. They, they have to to make a certain quota of bricks if they don't make it every day they're beaten the women are raped um, children are born in the brick kilns and spend their whole lives there one one man I know who, who redeemed some people out of brick kiln slavery said that a man said to him what is it like to be free I've never been out of this brick kiln before now say that because that sounds. And we have a guest. Maybe you can bring over here to talk to us more about this. And I'd love that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's, he's free to speak. Oh, okay. Yeah, I I think he can. If he's free yeah. to speak, I'd like to talk to him about that. Like that doesn't sound believable. I think it a doesn't. lot. I think a lot of what we do, our problem is, it's 
it's easy for people not to believe it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, when I started working on Sudan, somebody told me the quote by Elie Wiesel that said that what the Nazis did was so atrocious and so unbelievable that nobody would believe it, and that's how they could get away with it. And I think the same thing is true of these these regimes and, and militias that are doing horrible things to people today. It's so unbelievable. And even if you know it's true, you want to pretend it's not because you don't want to be faced with it. A lot of people are too cowardly to look it in the eye. Yeah, I heard a podcast recently that was based on the, is based on drama, you know, being obviously greatly influenced by mm-hmm. the French anthropologist René Girard, mm. as these guys claimed to be. And in the whole podcast, they were diminishing and dismissing the claims of Uyghur genocide in Chinese-occupied East Turkestan. And I thought, this is absolutely unbelievable mm. that they are just so... just casually and cavalierly and they said like well we don't we, I don't know a lot about this issue but I just can't believe it and they're just nonchalantly cavalierly um, dismissing it and it is hard to believe wait a second Nike mm-hmm. just do it mm-hmm. that company is using slaves to make hmm. their shoes slaves mm-hmm. to pick the cotton in their t-shirts come on this can't be true yeah it's definitely true we have we have Wall Street people who are more concerned about you know having their their stock I'm not a financier so I don't even know how to talk about this but they want money all they care about is money I know these people you know they get on the train from Westchester they go into Manhattan their lives are miserable I would not want to be them like I don't know what is, what are they what what are they getting with their stock I don't know because yeah. it's, it's they're still taking the train into the Manhattan from Westchester every day, all day, year after year. Yep. You can still do that with a little less money in your bank account. That's right. And by the way, in the long run, a free if the captive nations of China are free, if the if China's free, uh-huh. could you imagine uh-huh. what the stock market will do? Right. Could you imagine the creativity of people, the energy, the freedom? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, my favorite people are like the Iranians and the Chinese. Like, they're just the best. Mm-hmm. Good and, food, too. And they like freedom. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. they're, you know, China, unfortunately, right now, is they're just being so controlled, even their mind. But in, like, Iran, I think we're going to get to see a free Iran in our Praise lifetime. And we'll, and we'll see Turkey inevitably. And this, Cuba. And Cuba, maybe soon. Maybe we'll do an, an event in Cuba next year. Yeah, yeah. Could you imagine oh, how wow. exciting that'll be? Next year in Havana. <laughs> next year in Havana. Oh, no. I think you just violated the Logan Act. <laughs> That's okay. We're not going to report you. <laughs> Nobody in the government listens to this podcast. So, <laughs> so, so, what are your main goals for this? For this summit? For the summit. Uh, just to um, experience what everybody else is doing, to, to hear about the, the different um, ministries and groups and what they're doing to uh, maintain contact with people that we haven't seen in like a year and a half um, and to to help with the goal that Ambassador Brownback has of everybody working together for everybody to see religious freedom for all people everywhere. Um, And my personal goal as the supporting partnership of the Anglican Church in North America is to make uh, the concern for the persecuted and vulnerable be part of the DNA of our church. And we have a wonderful archbishop who cares about that and who helped to sponsor our 
presence here. So um, I think that that will happen. Archbishop Ndudu. Fo- I mean, uh, Archbishop Foley Beach, the, oh. bish- the Archbishop of the Anglican Church in North America. Okay. Yeah. Maybe will we be able to get him on the show? Oh, we could get, yeah, he's in Georgia, but we can definitely get him. Yeah, I, want, I definitely want to get him on the show. Okay. And Well, Faith, you have done such a good job. And when I listen to all the speakers, um, there's an intertwining of the thoughtfulness of what we need to do. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like we've all been thinking the same thing. Mm. When I founded this podcast, when I founded this podcast, my goal was, you know what 550 cord is? Mm-mm. Of course you don't. In the Army, there's a cord called 550 cord, and it's it's string. It's all these strings, like uh, 10 strings, little uh-huh. strings, and then a nylon sheath. It's green. Ah. that go inside. Have you seen that before? Yeah. It's called yeah. 550 oh, cord. Oh, okay. Well, to me, what this, this coalition is about is bringing together Muslims from East Turkestan, Christians from Pakistan, you know, Yazidi from Iraq, uh, vulnerable communities yeah. from all over the world are like those little strands. Mm-hmm. And those little strands alone snap. Mm-hmm. They're so easy to break. Mm-hmm. But when you bring all of these communities together, mm-hmm. uh, unbreakable. Yeah. Unbreakable. And what's great is I looked around this room. You're nuts. I'm nuts. The people who listen to this Thank podcast you. are nuts. Thank you. Yes. And um, except for the trolls, you're very sane trolls. Good for you. God bless you. Yeah. But everyone here... Um, are from countries and from communities that are suffering unspeakable, unimaginable abuse. Mm-hmm. And they are consumed by, they're not thinking about, the Uyghur are not thinking about what's happening in Pakistan or in Iraq because they can't. Mm-hmm. It's like you have a toothache, you have cancer, you're fighting mm-hmm. your thing. Yeah, you're focused And they on are it. here and they mm-hmm. are passionate mm-hmm. and they want the world to hear. Mm-hmm. And I feel like our community mm-hmm. is just regular old citizens here in America. Mm-hmm. We're the nylon sheath. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, that's a beautiful We're the nylon image. sheath. And then within that nylon sheath are it. all these cords. What we want to make is an unbreakable cord. Amen. We want to unite these vulnerable communities so that no community is vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And that's what Ambassador Brownback was talking about. Mm-hmm. Imagine, and I believe this. Mm-hmm. I believe that the cancel culture and the, and the illiberal nature of the tech giants, this is the last gasp of mm, cruelty. It is. Because they know if people could freely communicate mm-hmm. that the interests of the weak would be heard. Yes. And once the interests of the weak would be heard, people can no longer, decent people, like in our little film, Sing a Little Louder, mm-hmm. they'll stop singing. Mm-hmm. They'll mm-hmm. hear. Amen. And that's our goal. Amen. Right? Thank you, Jason. Well, thank you, Faith McDonald. Now, my next guest is, um, I'm, are you ready? Okay, this is big faith. I want to first of all. I just want to thank you. You're one of my heroes. Oh, Tell thank us how you. we can You're support Catartismos. Catartismos Global. Yes, uh, you can find it at kgiglobal.org and ask for faith. All right, faith. Do you think somewhere in Greece there's a guy speaking Greek and he's like and vulnerable people project? I hope so. Making fun of like how we speak. Yeah. Catartismos. All right, faith. <laughs> thank God you. bless you. God bless. All right guys um this is as someone and i'm gonna actually cut this and this will be in one long uh show and then i'm gonna cut these up and segment these and our next guest um i hope i don't mispronounce your name it's calvinor is that correct yes okay if i'm sorry this is so fragile if we touch this it's gonna rattle so i, I want people to hear you clearly calvinor i of everyone i've met here your story is very powerful. 
And it's actually, I, it brings me shame and embarrassment because of my inability to really be of much use. But I want to share our audience, which is around the world. And you should know many, many listeners are in the Uyghur expatriate community around the world that listen to this show. And many Americans, I would say my audience is the loudest voice in this country on behalf of the Uyghur here at the Jason Jones Show. So you are Uyghur. Yes, thank you very much, John. And, 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 and so um, can you please share with us why you're here today? Actually, today I'm here to make a voice and raise my voice to my sister, persecution in China, because she detained to Chinese concentration camp in 2018. After three years, she sentenced to 17 years, for seven years for praying, extra 10 years for the Kip, our religious book. And this is the most nonsense sentence in ever I heard in my life. So I want to say that again. She was sentenced initially for 10 years for saying a prayer. And then an additional seven years because they claimed she had a religious book in her home. Yeah, just seven years for the praying, extra 10 years for the kept our religious book. Okay, and can you explain the circumstances? Under no circumstances should someone go to prison for one hour for praying. But what were the circumstances of this, this accusation that she said a prayer? Actually, at the beginning when she detained the concentration camp, I think most of the people right now have awareness of the, this mass concentration camps in China. But at the first, they just mass detained people, like without any excuses, any reason. As soon as you were Uyghur ethnic, you will be detained. And then the, they're going to spend two or three years in the mass concentration camp, and they will put any excuses on top of their head. So... My sister is one of the millions of souls who are suffering in the concentration, Chinese concentration camps in, since 2018. And after two and a half year detention, they give her excuses, reason, prayed, and kept a religious book, and then give her long sentence just last year. So um, I want to I break that down for the audience because... Um, well, maybe I want to address this first. So many Americans don't want to believe this is true. And there are a lot of people in America who believe, and they have reason to be skeptical because atrocities and abuses have been exaggerated in the past to serve American quote-unquote interests. And that has hurt us in this situation because a lot of people find this so unbelievable so unimaginable I want you to explain to people clearly that this is not an, this is not hyperbole this is not an exaggeration there are millions and millions of ethnic Uyghurs in prison for no crime other than their ethnicity yes John that's this is not like just the saying Jason um, like the Jews what the Nazis did to Jews, that genocide, they didn't did in one day. It was step by step, just like what the Chinese government doing to us. The reason is they failed to assimilate us as a minority group in China, and we occupied by China 70 years ago. But since then, we didn't become Chinese. We have own culture, 
We have own religion, and then as a Chinese government, shouldn't be have any religion, and only we should keep faith of the CCP. They they fail to do that, and then they use they start this policy since 2016. It's mass concentration camp if you f- if you feel like there's any confusion on this if you're not believing on this you could, could just google uyghur testimonies you will find like thousands ten thousands of testimony like mine with the real id and then the people who in the living overseas uyghur people giving a testimonies for for the for their family members who disappear in the back home yeah, and it is, it is understandable, right, that people, you experience, how long have you been in the United States for? Two and a half years. So when you're here, you can see how from someone born and raised here from childhood, this seems so unbelievable, right? Can you understand how they like, they just can't imagine it? Yeah, since I arrived to this country, I'm grateful to everything because it's so different than where I grew up in the kind of this like communist system. Like nobody forcing you to do the something like you don't like in the religion, because as a Muslim, I never had that environment to like learn the praying. No, not allowed to be praying. Like there's a no environment, and also like freedom of speech. In here, the people is have privilege to like speaking anything, like on thought. In China, you could not even you speak against any policies or president like one sentence one sentence of word you're going to be persecuted you're going to be in the prison too and also i see so many americans i mean you share the image of winnie the pooh you're going to prison yeah yes this is true people find this strange yes you can't go to china and share winnie the pooh first time when i came to united states uh, my friend brought me to the white house and there's a lot of bunch of people like shouting against Mr. Mr. President Trump and I was so shocked oh my god these people not scary they're not scared no do you know what's so beautiful about this country is we can disagree there's a move in this country to think we shouldn't disagree that disagreement's bad I love that we can disagree that you can mock the president that you you know that you argue back and forth that we draw these funny comic strips of each other and I think this is, this is the most beautiful thing. I want to go back that you said you didn't know how to pray, but your sister was arrested for praying. And the circumstances were your father had passed away. There was no evidence that she prayed, but they just claimed she said a prayer when she found out her father passed in the privacy of her own home. They heard from an informant. And yes. from hearing from an informant that after the news of her father passing, she said a prayer led to seven years in prison. Yes, because when our father passed away in 2013, I was there. So, like, in our culture, no, also if our direct family members is passed, like, we will gather, all the family members will be gathered together. Yeah, but they just assuming everything. And then they say they claim my sister is kept a religious book, but I heard from my mom there wasn't any religious book in her home. This is the, like praying or like she kept the religious book. All is lies. They use these excuses to keep her in the long sentence. Because China, what they're doing with this mass concentration camp is first they detain millions of Uyghur people like my sister. And then they're building the factory inside the concentration camps and they're using 
our loved ones for the first labor, like Nike or Adidas, or closing many, many, many more clothing brands, all making by this forced labor. Now, there is plenty of evidence if you ever have a chance to Google it, like forced labor uh, production in China or for the Uyghur forced labor. So this is something I want to ask you, maybe your, your help or your ideas on this. One of the things I wrestle with is I'm just a guy. And our audience, they're just school teachers and dentists and they own a trucking company, whatever. They just, they're just folks. We feel powerless. And I think our powerlessness is what stops us. You know, what would you say to the average American listening? You know, well, what I always remind them is this is a constitutional republic and they're free citizens and it's a representative government. So they need to make their voices be heard. But what do you think is the obligation and responsibility of the bus driver, the school teacher, the dentist, the, you know, um, the lawyer, the accountant, the, just the regular guy? He's got, he's got to get home. He's got to, he's got to you know, mow the lawn. He's got to take his kids to baseball practice. He's, um, what is their responsibility as Americans to the Uyghur community? First, as a human being, we shouldn't be just standing, seeing other people suffering just because of like, like different belief and because of the different ethnicity. And as American, I believe this is a democratic country and the, one of the most powerful, not one of the, is the most powerful country in the world. And American people have this freedom of speech. And then, like, as a just ordinary citizen, there is a huge huge impact for the Chinese, this evil crime, if we could take action in this two sides. One is Chinese, this superpower it comes from made in China product. So I hope Americans, if could, please boycott made in China product and let them become less powerful in economically. Yes. That's going to be a huge impact. Why they can do so much evil things? Because they have more money, they have economically strong, and we can reduce this economically, this, this strongness in economically by boycott made in China product. And another side is the people like you, you could just give our, help us give awareness to your friends, your family, your community. Also you can share in the social medias because a lot of people are still not knowing what we're going through, like what we're going through like a hell right now. And also, if possible, you could write to your House representative, you could write to your senators to take real action against this Uyghur genocide, the Chinese evil crime against humanity. That will be huge help. That will be make a huge difference. Even that is will not like directly going to be in this like closest concentration camp in the two days, but it will be effect. It will be impact. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I think is everyone listening, if, if you listen to the Jason Jones show, you know more about the Uyghur than most anyone you've ever met, right? And you're probably the first person to share with your community over the years what's happening. You need to let your member of Congress know. Write them letters, take them to coffee, host a fundraiser where you bundle some money and they get to know you so they take your, your, your cell phone call. Um, because I think we have a real opportunity, don't we, with the Olympics? I think that the Beijing Olympics gives us a real opportunity. And yesterday you were sharing with me, and we'll get to that later, the, the daily threats. And you played for me some of the messages and, and what they will do to you and your sister. Um, and I said to you to have hope. And 
and you began to cry. Maybe you even got a little angry with me. You think, you know, it seems sort of callous for me to look at you. And you maybe feel I'm a little callous because I don't feel it intimately like you. And I awkwardly said you should have hope. But I do think there is hope with the Beijing Olympics. I hope there is the Beijing. I want there to be the Beijing Olympics. But for the Beijing Olympics to happen, the CCP has to radically change its policy to the Uyghurs and to other people of faith and other ethnic minorities. So, But do you see a real opportunity? And be honest, do you have hope? Do you despair? You know, what do you, how do you feel right now? Yeah, I see real hope with the Olympics. Do you, do you feel hope? I hope this Olympics, because Olympics for the people, it's, there's a spirit for the Olympics. And I hope this spirit will not, like, misuse it by, like, by this evil CCP, because what is doing the genocide, like, for like treating less than animals like like own minority group citizens so i hope the people make choice change it it can say no to olympics in the beijing so it will be some kind of signal to the ccp chinese government and then take look back what they're doing look back their action yeah, I pray. So I know I see the CCP in a way as a sort of weird occupational government of China. They're not even, it's not from China. It's Western ideology is perverted, isn't it? The CCP, it's a, it's a Western ideology. And the first victims of the CCP were the Chinese people. The diplomats, the, the government officials, the people being paid to harass you. Their wives were forced to have abortions. Their mothers were forced to have abortions. Their own families were suffered under the Cultural Revolution, right? Yep. We yep. want them to be free. They're not free. The people harassing you are not free. They're victims too, right? Yep. Because the system, it's sick. This party, CCP South Communist Party, Chinese Communist Party, they just wanted everything on their hands. So whatever is like not against, it's something have different than whatever they like instructed. And they will treat them as enemy. Like for Uyghurs like me, we we not place to be enemy, but we don't have gun, we don't have anything, we never like confront of the Chinese government. We don't we don't have that power in China, but we didn't do anything wrong. Only our mistake, our if like they say this uh, what why we treated in this way? Because of we are different. We was different ethnic and we have different religion and we have different culture. That was they was feel like so unhappy and then they try to change us, put in a concentration camp, used by brain wash or like for a woman do the forced sterilization rape them torture them kill them and in the concentration camp they just want to finish us like erase us from this territory and they will not succeed ambassador brownback who hosted this event is never allowed in in china again of course he'll be welcomed back one day as a hero because he, 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 when he went to China as ambassador on religious liberty, he said, you've declared a war on religion and you will lose. <laughs> Do you know about that? Yeah. And they will, they, the CCP will lose. The people of China will win. Um, the captive nations of China will win. What are the other ethnic communities that are suffering? Uh, along The Uyghur, because the numbers are so enormous and the crimes are so uh, atrocious, the organ harvesting, the forced rape, the forced marriage. 
Uh, what other communities would you like to mention that would you like to know for people to have a voice for, to hear about? Besides Uyghurs, actually, there is other Turkic ethnic minority groups like Kazakh people, Kyrgyz, and some Uzbeks is suffering same like Uyghurs, same as Uyghurs. But only because of the numbers is like not much, not, not much as much uh, as Uyghurs. Yeah, they suffering with us together. What would you like to know, like if if I met you under better circumstances and uh, East Turkestan was thriving and free and and we met out at a dinner party and I would ask you, tell me about your people. What would you say? Tell me about the Uyghur. Who are they? I never heard of them. Tell me about the Uyghur. Oh my God. If you was, oh my God, I couldn't imagine it will be there is one day like this. But if we not under this kind of genocide, ongoing genocide, the Uyghurs, Uyghurs, it's so friendly and then so kind. Like, just give you one very simple example. If you, as a, not a foreigner, even as a Chinese like neighborhood or anyone, you stranger, if you went to any Uyghur family you don't know, like just pass by from the road, if you just in, hey, just say hi, they're gonna treat you like just like their parents. They're gonna be like full with the, like, they're gonna fill full the, all the table with a nice food, and then they're gonna treat you so well. It, it's not, I'm kidding. Well, the, I, the smile. I'm going to get a picture, a candid picture, when you're not paying attention. Because when I asked you that question, it was the first time I saw you smile. Yesterday, you gave me a very mad look when I said to have hope. And I understand that sentiment, right? And I, and I, have, I understand that. But when I asked you that question, you had the biggest smile. I wish I had my camera ready. Um, okay. So tell me about the food. Like, if I was to go to East Turkestan... And we went to one, your family, what would your family make? What would be the food we'd be eating? Oh, okay. If you, if we ever have a chance to go home and then you're going to be, if be guests in our family, my mom, first thing, going to be prepare for your polo. How do you say it? Polo. We po- call polo and then it calls polo. by Uzbeks like palau. Palau. Yeah. Palau. 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 I can yeah. say palau because I'm from Polynesia. Okay. <laughs> okay. Palau. So what is it? Okay. It can be um, uh, it can be prepared by lamb, like big lamb chops and fried and with the um, onions. Then after that, gonna be steamed together with the rice. It's gonna be one of the best great food for the, our like precious guests. So I believe I, not I believe. I'm sure my mom gonna. Make that's it what she, that's what she's gonna make. And what are we drinking? Oh, we <laughs> as a Uyghur, we if you if we go in the summer, definitely you're gonna drink yogurt drink. That's what we call um, Iran. Iran. Yeah. So we're going to have Palau. And Iran. And Iran. Yes. Iran. And some salad. And salad. Sounds very good. In my culture, we have tater tots and fish sticks. Wow. And cream corn. (laughs) Unfortunately, in my hometown. You don't want that. No, no, no. I want it. But unfortunately, in (laughs) my hometown is like middle of desert. Like second biggest desert in the world. That call is Taklamankan. So we don't have a sea. We don't have a big lake. So we don't have a fish. So mostly ninety percent we eat lamb or cow, like beef. I, I, or I love lamb, yeah. and um, but it, okay, I would give you ahi. That's what I would give you. So okay. um, now you said something amazing. So I, I'm picturing it. Memory is most connected with smell. 
what time of the year do you um you live in northern virginia or washington dc area or you don't want to say where oh yeah i live in northern virginia okay they already know where you live so what time of year does the smell or is there a certain smell that reminds you of home or you just memories come rushing in or a certain time of the year in the fall like in uh, in fall in the autumn yeah and it's the smell mm-hmm. Isn't it strange how smell is most closely related to memory? Yeah, because Uyghur region, not only my hometown, like whole Uyghur region is like very rich of like variety of fruits. So very, like so many different of fruits all will be ready in the like end of the August and September. It's like, yeah. So... Um, can I ask uh, uh, sort of a personal question? Sure. What is your What do you daydream about? My daydream. Yeah. Yeah, I know you must daydream a lot because you're under a lot of immense stress, right? So, what is What do you daydream about? My daydream. I, I, are you asking like beside this ongoing genocide or without ongoing genocide? No, like yeah, when you you're dreaming about going home to your family, like what is your daydream? Tell it to us. My daydream just want to go home, see my mom, my sister, just once if possible, because I didn't see them last five years. I'm not sure when I cannot see them, so I just want to see them one more time in my life. Yeah, that's my daydream. And you think about it every second of every day. Each day in my each breath. Every breath. Yeah. For many people who's never, never gonna experience, and I hope never gonna have these things, and you will not gonna be understand how precious like having a dinner together with your parents or your sister brothers. But for us, not only for me, or for all the Uyghurs, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna dream each day, each second for this. Well, well, I know that evil is limited by itself to deprivation, and I and I pray, I pray to God that this dream becomes true. Thank you very much, Esther. And do you have a community here of friends, of Uyghur friends that are tight knit? Yes, I do have. And, and I'm sorry for such a, such a hard question at the no. end, but it's, what would be the final words you just like to say to the folks listening? And you know, we have Uyghurs all over the world listening, and it, it makes me so happy. They message me from every country. Um, if I see I have listeners in Sweden, they're not Swedish; they're Uyghur. If I have listeners in Germany, they're Uyghur. What would you say to the community around the world? And then, what would you say to the folks who aren't Uyghur listening? Oh, I hope everyone, all the Uyghur clans, please. I understand your pain. I guess everybody is suffering the same. Like we cannot see our family members for many years, and even some, most of us, like even cannot hear their voice. So, I hope you could stay strong, and I hope you could stay hopeful, because in this world, not for the evils and justice will be come, and one day we will go home, and we will be united with. Our family and loved ones. Pray God. And then, what would you say to the folks who aren't Uyghur listening? For the other people? Yeah. Um, firstly, I am so thankful and appreciate the people who listening us, and then also I'm really, really um, 
feel so blessed, like to see people like Jason, Didi, and so much people in here in America. And then I wish. And then I hope I know like you have own life and you have own problem to deal every day. But if there is any chance, if you have any time. Please share our story and please just go for Google Uyghur, U O yeah sorry U Y G H U R. Just Google Uyghur. You will find a lot of news or testimonies like mine. And please share to your community, your friends, or you in your social media. Give our awareness. If anything more, if you would like to do, please contact your officials, like political officials. Let them know what is going on to the Uyghurs in China, and let them do some real action against this ongoing genocide. That will be really, really helpful because millions of souls, like my sister, is right now. It's waiting for. The people to rescue them, but each person action will be is a lot to them. Thank you, Kabanar, and and you're here with Save the Persecuted Christians. Tell us about that group. You're you're Muslim, um, and you've shared with me you're not very pious or devout, but you were raised you're culturally Muslim, and and but you're here with Save the Persecuted Christians. Uh, who who brought you here? Yeah, this is very uh, interesting question because today. In this international religious freedom, people saw me with this tag. <laughs> hey, which organization you come together? I said, "Save the persecuted Christians," and he said, "You, you, you're Muslim." I said, "Yes," <laughs> and then I explained to them, "Hey, I met them two years ago," and then since then they was the most kindest people in the world, these Christians, and they don't differentiate which religion are you. But they, because of human being, they have such a kind heart, and they helping in their best to help us make awareness. And they brought me even here to make my words to my for my sister. Well, I, my voice, I give you my my small voice for you and for your sister. Thank you. And Jason. I'm looking forward to having lamb and yogurt and salad with you in the mountains. And um, inshallah, one day. Yeah. Praise God. Thank you very much, Kavanar. Thank you very much, Jason. Thanks a lot, and thanks to Safety. Persecuted Christian, this organization, and then many more. Thanks a lot. You know, it's amazing. I found that all the groups here, when you ask them what's the biggest problem in the world, and they're all rightly concerned with their community, wherever it is. But if you ask, were to ask these groups from Africa, from other parts of Asia, from wherever they're from, they'll say the Uyghur. Everyone here, even though they're burdened by their own struggles. They know that this is the greatest shame in the world today. Knowledge, when you know, becomes duty. And now, everyone listening, you know, and all of us who know, we have a duty. And Kalvinar, we we pray for God for the grace to fulfill our duty. Thank you um, very much. Stand Thanks with you. a lot. Yeah. Aloha. Thanks. Yeah. All right, now we have another guest. We have two guests. I'm being overwhelmed with Anglicans now. <laughs> this is really ecumenical. That was um, so, guys. You're going to listen to this in one long stream, and then I'm going to break them up into separate shows because each of these interviews have been so powerful. And I thank you for continue. For those of you who have listened, Kalbanar's interview is to me one of the most, the most important interview I've ever done. Kalbanar. Thank you so much. That was the most important interview I've ever done, and you guys don't understand. China calls her every day, leaves threatening messages. Um, she played those messages for me. We're going to be playing those messages in the coming days over the show, and we're going to be giving them to um, other news 
news outlets. But I'm here with my good friend, Canon. Is this the proper term? That's right, yes. Okay, I do apologize, guys. This is rattling and weak, so we can't touch the table. Got it. And um, so I apologize. So I'm here with, with um, Canon Justin Murph and Canon AJ Nolte, two of my friends. I don't, I barely know the proper lingo for being Catholic. <laughs> what is, can't explain to us the, 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 the history and the meaning of the word canon. Certainly. So in the Anglican Church, a canon is the equivalency of, of what, what a monsignor would be in the Catholic Church. So we serve. So you're a, you're a priest that's really good at fundraising. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that right? I can neither confirm nor deny. Or that. you're a priest with a really rich dad. I can definitely neither confirm. That's so inappropriate <laughs> if it's true. No, if it's not true, it's fine. Are, if it's uh, true, are, it's horrible. We're, we're deacons, uh, and we serve as advisors for... Uh, Sorry, we're, we're deacons and we serve as advisors for our bishop on uh, different matters. So Justin, my colleague here, does uh, international affairs. Uh, I do governmental affairs. Um, and we are uh, canons to the bishop of the uh, jurisdiction of the armed forces and chaplaincy. And he's oh, got two, 250 military chaplains. We also have ties to the Church of Nigeria. We've been working on Anglican religious freedom issues. And so uh, we're here with a new... Uh, organization that we are helping stand up called Anglicans in Action, which is going to be sort of a, a public uh, policy-oriented voice for uh, Anglicans in North America and, and hopefully around the world as well. Well, I would say your community, and, and, and I'm pretending I know nothing about you, uh, uh, Canon Nolte, I don't know very much about you. <laughs> I, I know a bit, but Canon uh, Justin Murph, you're my friend. Right. You're someone I greatly admire, and I, I consider you almost like a brother uh, because I, I, you, the work that you do, I admire. And so I do know you're good at fundraising, and you fundraise for the best causes and the most vulnerable communities on earth and you talked about Nigeria is there any anything specifically you want to talk to about our audience you know Nigeria is something that we have not really focused on as much as I would like because a lot of my show has been on and a lot of my organization's work is on problems caused by directly by U.S. foreign policy or places we have a strong presence right um, but is there anything specifically you want to talk to about why you're here or, or any countries or problems that people should know more about well certainly the the persecution of Christians in Nigeria is one. It's it's one that is uh, is troubling to say the least. The fact that the U.S. has been egregiously silent on the persecution of Christians in Nigeria, and we're not calling a spade a spade, and that's part of the problem. Is that there is a active, uh, almost weekly report coming in of Christian churches being attacked, priests being attacked, homes being shot up, and yet we hear nothing about it on the international media. And so it's up to organizations like ours to help kind of raise awareness for that. One area that's near and dear to both of our hearts is Kurdistan. I just came back from Kurdistan. And one of the things that has uh, driven me nuts is the fact that we know, we know right now, Turkey oh, is thank you for bringing this up. bombing yes. Christian communities. Turkey. Turkey. A NATO country. A NATO ally is bombing Christian communities in northern Iraq. With under, drones. With drones under the guise that they're hunting PKK rebels. But I know for a fact they're not because I've been in those communities. I've seen firsthand these communities. And when we're told we can't travel to certain parts of the country because there's legitimate fear that we may get caught in the crossfire. Well, that tells me that we know as a country what's Thank you really for going your, on. You know what I love about everyone here? We're crazy. You shouldn't be telling us this. But so you, you just said, I mean, you were warned by our government, don't go there. Yeah. The day before bombings. Yep. By Turkey with drones. Yep. 
Do you know they say they're PKK, which PKK, I guess, are Stalinists, Marxists. What would you call the, their ideology? Started out as sort of Marxist, uh, Marxist-Leninist. Started out as sort of Marxist-Leninist. Um, What's left of that, I'm not sure. I know that um, particularly during Turkish elections, uh, Turkey was actually one of my dissertation countries. I have a PhD in in political science. And during some of the recent elections, they sort of painted, the Erdogan government painted with a very broad brush. Anyone who is sort of vaguely Kurdish, they said, yeah, it's PKK. Well, the reality is to the the Turkish government, it seems like uh, to anybody who is uh, opposing the president or his administration, they, PKK. they might fall under the PKK. Or, or, I have had friends who are, are PKK, yeah, accused of being PKK. Yes. I wouldn't associate with PKK. My favorite was when they accused Andrew Brunson, a Christian pastor, of being a Gulenist. Tell everyone what a Gulenist so is. So Fethullah Gulen, Fethullah Gulen was the leader of a uh, Muslim network, um, and ideologically he sort of descended from, uh, or a, a sort of disciple of a man named Said Norsi. Uh, Norsi was a mystical Muslim who argued for what I would say is sort of American-style secularism in the Turkish context. Um, and so Gulen was one of his descendants. Now, uh, the Gulenists have gotten a rap for being very sort of secretive, very closed off. Um, they have also, if you talk to other people who are more pro-Gulenist, they'll say uh, that they are really uh, the, one of the most liberal networks within the Muslim world of, in terms of uh, tolerance and pluralism. But from the Erdogan regime's perspective, what they are is a former ally uh, that worked with the PKK during, or, uh, sorry, with the AKP during uh, the earliest part of Erdogan's rise, but then they had a falling out. Mm-hmm. And since then, um, you know, after the 2016 coup, which, which Erdogan uh, claimed the Gulenists were responsible for, essentially uh, everybody that Erdogan doesn't like has been accused of either being PKK or, or a Gulenist. So we know that, you know, all it takes for evil to prosper is for good men to say nothing. So the question is, at what point does us as Christians in America, as Anglicans, as, as American citizens writ large, at what point does our silence become complacency? At what point, when we do know, and we refuse to raise the issue, we refuse to bring it up to our congressmen, we refuse to hold our own government to account for their failed policies, their failed actions, at what point are we then complicit? And that's one of the big questions that, at least for us, as Anglicans in Action, we seek to actually inform and speak to our community right. so that we can, A, pray, and so that we can also be uh, encouraged to actually fulfill our civic responsibility and our civic duty and actually elect members to the House and the Senate who will stand for things, not just the pro-life issues, which we deeply care about, right. but you know, when we look at life in general, we, we, we just believe that not just the baby in the womb, not just the black person or the minority or the persecuted abroad. We believe all life is sacred. Yes. And because we believe all life is sacred, we have an obligation to stand for the weak and the helpless, right? I believe uh, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount tells us, right? Blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are those. And we have the obligation to stand up, to speak out, and to do whatever we can to ease the pain and suffering of those around us, not because it benefits us financially or because it gives us a better trade deal, but because it's what particularly we believe as Christians we're just called to do. Okay, so I want to ask, I asked this question to Faith McDonald earlier. This is something I wrestle with. I'm going to ask you two questions. I don't know how much time you have. There's a lot of important sessions going on. But um, the first question is the struggle I have which is when, and I'll, let me clarify something. When you, when you talked about this consistent ethic, you know, which I'm a big advocate, there's a consistent ethic of life, not just the child in the womb, but the child in Darfur, the Uyghur, the, 
but we see this seamless garment that submerges real human rights issues in a sea of domestic prudential issues that really have to do about us and our decadence, like border policy or social welfare programs, right? That's a great confusion. And so when you're talking about a consistent ethic, you're talking about very clear, non-negotiable, direct threats to the innocent and to the vulnerable. Let me take this one. Yeah. So here's what I'll say, uh, Jason. Um, one of my hats that I study is, is political theory, particularly Christian political thought. And if you look at the history of Christianity, going all the way back to the Didache, which is one of the earliest Talking documents. like a Catholic, you're yeah, right. <laughs> Well, Anglicans can use the can can be both evangelical and and still like the Church Fathers. So, um, <laughs> so so you go all the way back to the Didache, and you look at the history of that, and there's always been a consistent understanding in Christianity that human beings are made in the image of God with dignity intrinsically from that. And that plays itself out particularly in issues of the right to life for the most vulnerable, which has always been uh, the unborn. Abortion and infanticide have been Christian principles that, that we have that Christians have opposed since the beginning. Uh, number two, the that's in the Didache. It to is, be clear, again, but hey, canon, so yes. is contraception. Oh, so. Um, <clears throat> So, and then you also have... That was the classic non-answer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> wait, 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 is it not, though? Well, so, what I would say for the Anglican Church... Just, I shouldn't go there. Yeah, so, so we don't... We, I, as far as I know, the Anglican Church doesn't have a, a specific teaching on that issue. So, I don't want to say anything from an Anglican hat on, on that. I, I, might have, your boss. I might have personal beliefs My on boss that, doesn't like me. Anyway. <laughs> okay, okay. But, so then also, you, you look back as far back as Tertullian, who, in um, Ad Scapulum, one of the letters that he wrote, talks about, please, you know, see that you don't deprive me of my re, uh, libertas religionis. Um, there's excellent work on this by Robert Wilkin, Robert Lewis Wilkin. Yes, he's a Roman Catholic. Um, his book, Liberty and the Things of God. So Christian liberty has always meant religious freedom, and religious freedom comes from Christianity. So there is this seamless Christian ethic that, that goes out from that. Now, when we talk about things like social welfare, when we talk about things like the idea of states having their own sovereignty, we need to understand that all of those things are actually derivative from these core Christian principles. It is because of Christian religious freedom that the Christian church established the first ever social welfare system. The first government social welfare system created was created by the Emperor Julian the Apostate because he wanted to copy what the Christians were already doing. But, but Ken, what I want to get to, though, is there's, there's an attempt, I believe, by very powerful special interests to yes. direct us from very challenging topics yes. by obsessing on our, I call it the preferential option for me. <laughs> You know, like my welfare, my student loans, me, 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 me. And I think it's very important that we separate these sort of challenging issues that some of us may look to the free institutions of civil society to provide this support. Others may look to the local government or the federal government. And we can disagree prudentially on this, but these should not become distractions to the very hard, challenging issues that are clear as a bell. Like uh, Nike should not be allowed to sell its products in our country as long as they continue to use slaves to make their products. Yes. Yes. And that comes to a fundamental issue of human dignity, right? If you are are commodifying human beings, you are turning them into um, objects, you are essentially treating them as property, um, and that comes down to a fundamental issue of human dignity. Um, and so, you know, it is, it is 
those things come from our Christian beliefs, our Christian values, our consistent Christian ethic. And, you know, I, I think there are those issues of, of prudence. And one of the problems, as you rightly point out, in U.S. foreign policy, so I teach at Regent University down in Virginia Beach. We've got a new master's program. We're starting in international development. At, we're the only uh, uh, international development program at evangelical um, university at the master's level. And one of the things that we found is that when you start talking, when, when you start talking in the government sphere about international development, they don't even know what that means. There's a, a confusion, a fundamental confusion about what it means to say human beings should flourish. There's a confusion of means and ends, right? Of, of you know, the means to the good life are confused with the ends of the good life. And so part of it is we have to have an understanding of, of humanity. And I, I like what you said, the preferential option for me, that goes beyond <laughs> the fulfillment of individual desires. Yes. You know, what you could almost call sort of the cult of self, uh, which is a religion that's, that's very dominant in the United States today. And if we don't move beyond that, then we can't truly follow the Christian admonition to love our neighbors. So I'll... Um, I'll turn it over to Justin now. Yeah, I appreciate that, Canon LT. So if I had to look at a crystal ball and tell you what the next big crisis on the horizon is. Yes. Look to Lebanon. Okay. Look to the three-plus million refugees that are in about 12 to 18 months going to face expulsion from the country. What we're looking at is a situation as Lebanon... And, and so where are most of these refugees from? Syria and Iraq. Syria and Iraq. Yes. And the reality is... As and that Lebanon, wasn't my second question, so I'm not okay. going to... You're still going to get my second question. So, so as... as but, it, but it leads to my second question. So, okay, so where are they, they folks from? So Syria and Iraq. And Syria as and Iraq. Lebanon implodes economically, as the government continues to erode, there's strong movements right now in Lebanon to push and expel all of the non-Lebanese refugees out. Keep in mind, Lebanon... But who's supporting the camps? So this is, it's, it's the United Nations. Okay. But the reality is, is that there are more refugees in Lebanon than there are Lebanese people. It is the highest that is unbelievable of refugees in the world. And this is the greatest humanity. The Gulf states should be ashamed of themselves. They should be. They absolutely should be. And yet, now we're seeing Lebanese families wanting to move back into Syria, excuse me, Syrian families in Lebanon wanting to move back into Syria. But where's the infrastructure? Where are the roads, the schools, the homes, the hospitals, the clinics, everything that's needed to rebuild life? Many of those villages have been destroyed. Many of those communities, towns, they're still in rubble. And yet, what's going to happen when Lebanon begins, maybe even by uh, force, to expel these families? simply because the Lebanese infrastructure cannot even sustain their own people. Right now they're talking about medicine running out. Well, the reality is that was, that was news dropped earlier this week that pharmacies are beginning to run dry. But the reality is I've had friends in Lebanon that haven't been able to find Tylenol for their children for the past three months. They've not been able to afford diapers because a pack of diapers is now $50 for a pack of diapers. Milk is running at $25 a gallon of milk in Lebanon. Banks are putting restrictions to where people That's can't just on more this than inflation is unbelievable. It's astronomical. And when we, I mean, and guys, we're finally getting to learn here what inflation feels like, right? right. Yeah. So put say that again. So literally, you're talking about milk as high as $25, diapers as high as $40. Family, Jason, it's heartbreaking. I've literally heard of women selling their wedding dress, their wedding rings, family heirlooms, just to be able to provide... A By the way, this is a culture that doesn't get divorced and, and remarried as much as we do. This That's is right. a very serious thing. Yes. And let's keep in mind, a third of the country 
by a historic estimate, now reality it's probably closer to a quarter, are Christian. Yes. And so where are the Christian organizations? Where are they? Speaking up, helping out, providing care, providing aid. Thank God for the Lebanese military because that's the only stable force right now. And then you have Hezbollah who controlled a vast swath of the country. So, you know, this is a very difficult situation. So, okay, so that's, you just said it. It's a very difficult situation. So um, my first, I actually didn't get to my two questions. I'm going to ask my second question first, which was this. This is a very serious problem. Refugees in Lebanon wanting to get back to Syria, wanting to get back to Iraq. And you and I, like, we wish people knew. Yeah. Like, we, the Iraqis, the Syrians, like, these are the best people. Man. I love these people. So my biggest donor in the world Syrian. I told you this. Yes. My biggest donor I've ever received comes from Syria. It's $2 a month. And I emailed him. I said, brother, you cannot be donating to me $2 a month. He's like, you know, look, we don't have running water. We don't have anything. But I listen to your podcast. Let me do this $2 a month. It is a hardship for me, but let me do this $2 a month. That is my biggest donor. I love these people. But this is such a big problem that we're so overwhelmed. And I'm like, hey, I sell life insurance in Des Moines. I, I have a car dealership, you know, in Phoenix. Like, what do you want me to do, Canon Murph? Like, this is a real big problem. So this is my question. And I'm going to set it up because this is how I think. And I don't have the answer. That's why I'm asking you. And this is what I think every day. I am a citizen of a constitutional republic that's a re- we're a representative democracy i believe it i believe what i was taught in civics class i believe in the myth of this nation i believe it maybe i'm naive but i believe in it right i think my religious leaders are falling down and my political leaders are falling down but i can't use that as an excuse because this is a constitutional republic and i'm a free citizen in a representative democracy so i need to do something it is my duty it is not a choice but these problems are so big. What am I to do? I'm a car, I own a car dealership in Phoenix. I'm an insurance salesman from Idaho or Des Moines. I just moved the guy. The yeah. guy's like, I'm from <laughs> Iowa. What do they do? What are they to do? Because I know you more than anyone I know, you do the most, to be honest. More than anyone I know, you do the most. Um, what are they to do? So... You know, you'll expect me as a canon in a church to, you know, give the typical spiritual answer of pray. But No, then I'd hit your mute button and right. go to the next guest <laughs> because we know that. That's right. But we're not even doing that, are we? No, we're really not. And so, so pray. Pray, number one. Number two, there are organizations that are providing aid. There are organizations that are supporting uh, what's happening in the Lebanese relief effort. There are organizations that are helping uh, Uyghurs. There are organizations that are helping. Look, just open your eyes, your hearts, and your pocketbooks. It's not enough to say, oh, that's terrible. We'll pray for you. That prayer needs to follow with action. And so if you're really seriously burdened about this, which we all should be. Look, we can't do everything for everyone, but we can do something for someone. And that's what we have to be willing to dig in and look for. And so, you know, I I support an organization called the MENA Leadership Center, which provides education and training for leaders who don't have access to education, but they're leading organizations and ministries all throughout. And that's that's who we support. You also support me. Thank you very much. And I support Jason Jones. You do. I thank you for your donations. Absolutely. You know, it's being able to invest what we've been given and be good stewards of our time, our talent, our testimony, and our treasure. That's what I, I teach and I talk to folks all the time about. And so where are you investing? And that would be my question. 
it's not just enough to listen to the podcast. It's not just enough to like it on Facebook. It's not just enough to, uh, to you know, give a high five. But where are you investing your resources in making a difference? Because you know what? You can do something today that literally can make the difference in the life of somebody around the world. Let's just reach in and dig a little deeper. Justin, can I jump in? Well, I want to, can I, Ken, before you said, I want to follow that up with something, and I want to see what you, this, you think about this. If all we do is research this and listen to this, we're disgusting voyeurs. Right. Sometimes I'm embarrassed of my, I was sitting at this event yesterday, I was participating at this event on Capitol Hill, and I thought, you know, I spend way too much time hearing these really horrible stories, yeah. and it's gross. Like, it's gross that I'm hearing these. Does this make sense to you? Yeah, it does. Like, if I hear these stories... And I am not doing something about it. There is something very... If you find yourself really attracted to these stories, like someone who loves horror books, and it's not compelling you to relentless activity and prayer, like you need to, you need to, go to, you need to see a doctor yeah. or something or yeah. go to your canon, your priest. Right? You know, what would you say about that? Like, yeah, you said that not listening to it is not enough. If all you do is know and don't act, now, this is gross. So I think this is a good test of have we become numb to humanity? Have we become numb to compassion? And there's this warning, right? Uh, we need to be compassionate if we expect compassion. We mm. need to extend grace if we expect grace. And part of that in this whole situation with looking at, at being for the vulnerable, right? This is one of the things I love about you, Jason, is you have always been about being a voice for the voiceless and protecting the vulnerable. Why? Because we're all made in the image of God. Yes, the Muslim, the Buddhist, the Jew, the Christian, all of us are made in the image of God. We don't get a chance to, to delineate that. And so how do we actually support those people made in the image of God when it really matters the most? And, you know, gosh, one person told me today, look, I'm so frustrated because we've ended up not giving a voice to... Uh, to the people who, who need to have a voice and instead, you know, our government's focused on training people how to make pizzas abroad, right? You know, like, how are we really helping people? Um, well, I guess, you know, teaching them how to make pizzas is helpful, but what good is it when their houses are destroyed, they have no roads to drive on, and their kids can't... Here, well, that's, that, we lack empathy. Right. It's like I was taking a gentleman to Sudan once, and he'd asked me about their food lunch programs yeah. where we were going. School lunch programs, I'm like, brother, they don't have schools, <laughs> right. they don't have lunches, and they don't have programs. So, so let me tell you, <laughs> I, I was with a bishop last night from Sudan, from the Juba Mountains, and he, he's telling the story of, as he's saying Christmas service... And he's got about a thousand people in front of him. And all of a sudden, as he's standing up, he sees the army plane coming right towards uh. him. And he begins to realize this is a bomber. This isn't just a jet, this is a bomber. And there's a thousand Christians gathering at a Christmas service. And he prayed, Lord, blind their eyes. Lord, blind their eyes. Now, nobody looked up, even the people on the platform didn't see the plane. But about a minute later, they all heard as the bombs dropped in the neighboring village. Somehow, God blinded the eye of the pilot, and he blinded the eyes of the people who didn't freak out. He kept through his service, but he, he stood there finishing his service with the full thinking that this is not only going to be my last service, but my last minute on earth, because that bomb's about to drop and kill us all, and thank God it didn't. It was a miracle. Now, we put that into our comfy situation where we worry about, you know, the color of our carpet or pews versus seats or what kind of air conditioning or, heaven forbid, where are we going to, you know, get to the cafeteria for lunch on Sunday and 
you know, those are the problems we worry about, right? Someone didn't like my post on, my post on Facebook or isn't following me on Instagram. Ouch, I'm really hurt, right? Yeah. Let's, let's, let's really look at what's going on in the broad spectrum of the world. And, you know, the only thing we can say is our country, if we don't reclaim the heart, if we don't reclaim compassion, if we don't actually begin to care for those who really God cares about, yeah. we are in trouble. We are inviting trouble in our own land. Our children and grandchildren are in trouble because they're devoid of empathy. Yes. We need to model empathy to save them from this strange, you know, this, with, like you said, Instagram, Facebook, where we become obsessed with ourselves. Yeah. Uh, Ken and Nolte, I didn't mean to cut you off no, earlier. No uh, let, me, let me jump in with a couple of very practical suggestions. Uh, the first, for that, you know, you, you, uh, person who sells cars or car salesman or insurance uh, salesman, the first, number one, don't try to do everything. If everybody tries to do something, it's going to be a lot more effective than if somebody tries to do everything. So pick pick a cause. Pick something that, you know, the Lord is, is calling you to. Number two, don't try to do it alone. I'm going to do something very un-Anglican and quote a French guy, Alexis de Tocqueville. Uh, and de Tocqueville, when he's visiting America, says, it doesn't matter whether they are trying to form a town, hold an election, move a tree, whatever it is, Americans form associations. Associations, associating, forming those community groups is the genius of America. We think of ourselves as a very individualistic people, but we built this country based on associations. So if this is something you're passionate about, grab some friends from church, from your neighborhood, from your dorm, and say, we've got to do something about this. Come over, let's figure out what small thing we can do, and then do it. And that's the third thing, is make a plan and then execute that plan. Um, it's good to pray, but also just think of something practically that you have. And think also with your group of friends, what skills do we have that other people might need? What can we do that other people might not be able to do? And if we follow the, I think that pick something, do something, don't pick do it alone. Pick something, do something, don't do don't it do alone. Don't do it alone. And then figure out what your unique skill set is and, and work from that. So maybe if you're, you're a used car salesman, you say, you know what? I'm going to donate 10% of my proceeds to this charity this month. Right, and you you advertise it, and you get people to come in, you know, or you know maybe it is you're you're holding a car wash event or something like that, where you're you know sending sending money, sending care packages, whatever it might be. But there's always something that you can do, and don't do it alone because your your friends, your people that work with you, we multiply our strength if we work together, and that also feeds into the empathy part, right? We're not just alone liking something on Facebook; we're a group of people coming together and doing something. And that's what the church has always done. And that's also, as Americans, what we should be doing because it's what we've always done. And I like that. And then maybe I'd add to that, it should be organic, right? Like, yeah. If you're Armenian and you live in Iowa Congressional District 3, you become the greatest expert on Azerbaijan and Armenia. And you let your congressman know you're the guy to go to. Yeah, and you absolutely. share sample resolutions. And it should... Even with me, most of my, I mean, my activism began organically. I became friends with a lot of Iraqis in the 90s and befriended Brad Phillips. And then through them, I be, wanted to help them. And, and then they would share stories with me and I began to fall in love and they'd bring me over there. And, and so it should be organic. And then that's the next question. And then I'll let you guys go because it's an amazing conference and I feel guilty I've taken so much of your time. How do we, like spiritually, we, and this again goes to sort of our health, not become sort of woke do-gooders. Where, you know, that's, I think it's a real temptation, right? A victimism, a feigning concern for the vulnerable to be liked or to be the guy at the church that's the vulnerable. You know, how do we make sure that it's an authentic thoughtfulness to the other and we don't drift into woke do-goodism? 
Jason, let me ask you. Let me ask you a follow-up question. Uh-oh. Oh, hold sorry. on. Let me there turn that down. Okay. <laughs> sorry. Let me ask you a follow-up question to that. How many woke do-gooders have you met that are actually genuinely humble? Um, how many woke do-gooders have I met? So what you're saying is, if they're woke do-gooders, there's no hope. Like, well, no. What, what I'm saying is, woke. our g- genuine humility is the best counter to Mm-mm. that. Look at me. Look at me. Virtual virtue signaling. Yeah. Right. You come into You're talking to a guy who has a podcast called The Jason Jones Show with hats with his name on it. Like, I'm your expert on humility. Well, in all fairness, he is blind. That's true. Oh, oh, oh he doesn't know. I See, I forgot. So, Cannon Nolte's blind, and I'm pointing at my hat. We were talking about this yesterday. This is great radio, right? So, you didn't know that. The name of the show is The Jason Jones Show. Here's a hat with my name on it. Let's talk about humility, Cannon Nolte. But I, I do. And not using vulnerable communities for people to look and listen to. But I do think that's the answer right is if we come in with a sense of humility um and we follow christ in that right in this in that we we approach things with with humility it's not about us looking good it's not about us doing the credit getting the credit it's about making sure that people get what they need um i think that helps counter that sort of um tendency to social media eyes our our good deeds and sort of do do the good deeds because of the way it makes us look um and if you're a tiktoker Listening with 250,000 fans and people look at you, we want you to stand up for the Uyghur, but it will come at a cost, right? We, yes. we want Especially on TikTok. You know, we want you TikToker. We were talking about this yesterday. Like, if you're a TikToker and 250,000 people, I was looking at everyone here, and I'm like, if we could take this convention yeah. and, like, drop it into a Vegas convention of TikTok influencers, oh, that's my dream come true. It'd be amazing. So, but then you need to know if you're a celebrity, Justin Bieber, you're listening. You know, when you stand with the Uyghur and NBA star, this gentleman just did a couple days ago, when you stand with truly vulnerable communities, it comes with a very, very real cost. Anyone on earth who stands with the Uyghur, and the bigger you are, the bigger, we just saw that big actor, John Cena, Cena, Cena. he he had to backtrack on what he said about China. Why? Because it's a huge market. So... Uh, it comes with a real cost, right? So when you're staying with truly vulnerable communities, this is what it says at the back of my hat, Pastor Cannon Nolte. I'm horrible. Look, you can see right there. It says, be vulnerable. I love it. And to be in solidarity with the vulnerable is to become vulnerable. Listen, There's no way to do it otherwise. People have to actually see what you do before they care about what you say. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. And that's the reality, right? Many people will say whatever they need to say. But the one thing that I've learned in, in, you know, you're right, I've worked with some amazing organizations, you know, Christian Broadcasting Network, Museum of the Bible, a whole, whole host of other organizations. Look, at the end of the day, this is what I've learned. People have to see what you do in order to care about what you have to say. Otherwise, we're just a clanging symbol. Okay, so, so they, yeah, they have to see what you do before they care about what you say. Look, yeah. a lot of people are... So Gerard would say it's positive mimesis. Yeah. Model the behavior you want others to do. That's right. That's right. And I, I seem to recall a guy 2,000 years ago saying something very similar. You know, Jesus Christ quoted Rene Gerard a lot. Have <laughs> <laughs> you ever noticed? He's outside of time. He knew what he was going to say. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> no, that's right. So positive, imitate Christ. Yeah. We look to saints. Yeah. And as if you see, here's my scapular. You guys know what a scapular is, right? And it's my favorite scapular. It took me years to find this. It's it's the Pieta. I love it. And it's Our Lady with Jesus uh, draped across her her lap. And to me, that's the perfect model of serving the vulnerable. Because when you serve the vulnerable, you had a creature, Mary. Creature created by the Trinity, thought of of all eternity, created. And 
the second person of the Trinity was draped across her lap. Yeah. Right? Right. She wasn't powerful and he was weak. But when we serve the vulnerable, we're not serving weak people. We are just, I say, you drop uh, an Olympic swimmer in the ocean, he's going to drown in the middle of the ocean. You drop, put me in a bathtub, I'm okay. And we're serving very strong, very beautiful, very powerful, wonderful communities that have been placed in impossible situations. Like the Poles in the 20th century, you have the Uyghurs or the Yazidis in the, in the 21st century. But see, Jason, here's the thing. I would rather run into the burning building to save the one mm. than stand outside and take a picture and put it on Instagram. Yes. And that's far too often people today are willing to pull their camera out and capture the, the action as opposed to jumping in and doing something to really, really save somebody. And that's part of, I think that's, we have raised a generation that has been so ingrained with this idea of infotainment mm-hmm. that they've forgotten the fact that they can actually do something. They can actually make a difference beyond just posting something on social media or, you know, asking, hey, is, is this action going to increase my likes or follows? Because that's gross. I mean, if we're just sharing this, it is a, a gross mass voyeurism. Yeah. Yeah. So do something. Get out there. Don't just research. Don't just listen. Although you should like and follow the Jason Jones Show. Jason Jones Show. It's a show based on humility. And uh, at least, and one of the few podcasts, I don't have my face. If I was better looking, I would. But I have the shaka. I went with the shaka. Hey, I'm not going to lie. I did grab uh, your hat from our table, and I have one with me. So. Well, I have shirts. I have shirts. I have hats. Well, if you've got a 2X one. I'll- and, you know, and I want to say this about, the, I found, what's amazing to me about this, and I was listening to Mrs. Lantos speak and Ambassador Brownback, and I've been working with you for years. And when I founded the Jason Jones Show, I was telling this to um, Faith. McDonald, you know what 550 cord is? Yeah. So you've got the little strings and the nylon sheath. To me, these vulnerable communities are the strings yep. that alone are easy to break. And we as an Americans in this powerful hegemon constitutional republic are the nylon sheath. And together, we, we wrap these strings up together. We put the nylon sheath over it. We have something unbreakable. But we need all of these communities together. But if you have all of the strings, but then we show up as citizens in this hegemon, and we don't come together with them, they're still going to be breakable. That's right. So together, as free citizens in the most powerful republic in the, in the history of the planet Earth, together with these vulnerable communities, we can make something that's unbreakable. A cord of many strands cannot easily be broken. There you go. Wow. These Protestants. <laughs> these Protestants. <laughs> in there. Um, so is, is it, what, do you, what do you want to say about What do you want to close with? Well, first, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to share. You know, we've talked about, uh, of course, you know, Canada Age, you talked about region. I talked about what's on my heart with me in a leadership center. Yes. And, uh, and of course, with uh, the, the prayer point of what's happening in Lebanon. So thank you for just giving a voice and for what you're doing, giving a voice to all of these great causes that are here. Um, you know, this is your show is, is really one of the only places people can turn to to actually learn and be in, empowered to actually make a difference. So thank you for what you do, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I love you. I thank you. I love you too, brother. So glad to be here, and thank you for the opportunity. Well, God bless you, and I I feel bad I took so much of your time, Ken and Nolte. No problem. Thank you very much. I'm sorry I took so much of your time. And uh, what talk did you miss for being here? Oh, the really important one about philanthropy and foreign policy. So really, yeah, so we're gonna have to listen to it. We'll have to listen to it. That's cool. but philanth. Who is who is the speaker on that? Oh, there it is. That's a great question. Uh, philanthropy and foreign policy. 
so. Well, and that's something I don't know if I asked you about. Um, maybe I asked Faith about. I, I talked about how when we and 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 Ken and Murph. Yeah, well, well, that's. The, well, we're gonna, I'm going to ask you one more question. Who's 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 hosting that? So, the host for that one is Chris Stewart from uh, the, the Templeton Grant, but it includes Eric Patterson from RFI, which is a phenomenal organization. Yeah, two Monsignors missed that one. Yeah. You guys fell down on the job right there. <laughs> well, but you know what? Talking to you is is, is equally as important. So, well, well, this is going to get to my one point, and you're the guy I should have really asked this question to. I asked Faith. I forgot to ask you. Here's the big struggle. So when I founded the Vulnerable People Project, it came out of, through making movies, right. I found out members of Congress and their staff in the White House and other places liked me because I made this movie and I had celebrity friends, and I thought... I'm, I'm trying to influence them all the time kind of informally. Let's make a project and be intentional about this, the Vulnerable People Project, where we influence, we run influence campaigns for vulnerable communities. One of the things we teach vulnerable communities is you have to put your interests in terms of other powerful interests, yeah. like the United States of America or Google, right. for example, or Facebook. If Turkey is cracking down on Facebook, well then, if you're uh, a dissident in Turkey, you should find an ally in Facebook. So, but here's the dilemma. We don't, as Americans, we don't want to use vulnerable communities in the, in, in, in the pursuit of our foreign policy objectives, right? Right. But at the same time, we know this is a very practical strategy to have these vulnerable communities find support for their interests. How do we walk that line? Can I jump in? Please. So, is that an appropriate question? Or are those the type of questions no, we shouldn't ask out loud? No, uh, absolutely appropriate. Um, especially for my, my so I'm going to speak in my sort of regent professor hat. Okay. Here's the thing. I actually, I, I will say this, I will say this about foreign policy and, and the whole interest thing. I think it is actually fine for a powerful actor like the United States to say, we're going to do something that's going to serve our interests. And if we, if partnering, if, if in partnering with vulnerable communities, we can help our interests, we'll do that. I think all of that's great. But, and here's where things become really important. When you take on those vulnerable communities as allies to serve your interests, you cannot abandon them. You Thank cannot you. leave uh, look, them. Look what behind. we've done to the Kurds. The Kurds look, are the, the textbook Kurds, example right? of that, right? And you know, you can even talk about some of the interpreters that have been working with us in Afghanistan for twenty years. Unbelievable. Terrified about what's Horrifying. going to happen to them in the future. Yeah, yeah. Right? So we there there is a sense of and it's not just values. It's also if you ever want people to work with you again and trust you again, you cannot leave allies behind. And I think if you're honest and you have integrity and you follow through and you stand by your allies who stood by you, then I think it's okay to say, yes, we're going to do this. We're going to serve our interests because you've been a good ally. And my concern about the United States is that when the going gets tough or, you know, the, when we get bored as a country, we leave people behind. We bore easily. We, and we bore easily. And if you do that often enough, number one, it's a moral stain on you as a country. And number two, practically, people don't trust you. And they shouldn't. And yeah. that is one of the major problems that I have with U.S. foreign policy is that we have to stand by the people that have stood with us. You, know, you can think the Iraq war is a good idea, a bad idea, or indifferent, but you can't abandon the Kurds because they put their faith in the United States. You can't abandon the Assyrians. You can't abandon the Afghans that have been working with you for 20 years. Right? You have to stand by your allies because they stood with you at, at great risk to themselves. And it's, yeah, I know you have something to say about this, Kenan. Nothing? That was a that was a that was a great answer. All right, all right, guys. Thank you. So That's much. awesome. All right. Well, you, Monsignors, go do your job. Okay. <laughs> well, blessings to you. Thanks, Jason. God bless you. Thank you for your work. Right. See you, brother. Thank you.
Uh, there you go. So I, I keep forgetting. It's true. I, I forgot like 10 times. Um, I keep forgetting that, that Canon Nolte is blind, and I put my hand out, and that was silly, and I'm embarrassed. Uh, thank you, guys. All right, guys, this was an amazing hour and a half. Um, if you listened all the way straight through and there were certain segments that you want to share uh, in the coming days, what we're going to do is we're going to break these up and we're going to release them separately. And uh, and uh, and maybe we'll have one more interview. Sehun, are you free for an interview? Yes, sir. All right, Sehun Kim. Yes, um, okay, here's what's going on. We, we're an hour and a half in. We've had some incredible interviews. Um, this table's... Um, moves easy so we don't want to touch it um what we're going to do is we're going to interview you and then it's also going to be broken up later into segments and we're going to re-release because these interviews were amazing um say hoon kim with save the persecuted christians i'm sorry the near and present danger in china are they connected yeah in my mind do you want to sh- talk about that <clears throat> yeah so basically the committee on present danger china yeah, co- i'm sorry committee on present danger <laughs> no worries sorry and um, I'm actually the, uh, the director, director of, of the uh, Captive Nations Coalition of the Committee on President Asia China. And yes, um, we are working, <clears throat> we're sort of like interconnected, I, I think, with the, um, with the Save the Persecuted Christians um, through, although different organizations, uh, through our great, coalition work. Yeah, through our great leadership of uh, Frank Gaffney and um, Didi Loggison. So tell us about this idea of, I think a lot of people, this is the first time they're going to hear Captive Nations. Explain that to them. So the Captive Nations Coalition was created um, to basically give a voice to all of the peoples that have been taken over by the Chinese Communist Party. It's much like the countries that were under the rule, the iron thumb, I I would say, of the Soviet Union and how they were under captivity of the communist system. um, Where they became great victims, right, of tyranny and and just mass genocide and such and such and such. So we are, our aim is to not only um, give them a platform to speak um, their hearts, but also at the same time, uh, we want to help uh, give them a proper representation in, in this country as people of nations that are under captivity rather than just uh, people of another human rights um, issue. Um, I think one more thing is that the the idea of the captive nations coalitions came because <clears throat> we're beginning to realize that a lot of the values in which the Chinese Communist Party follows actually are being slowly but surely being seeped into our country and to the and to many other nations in the free world. So now, what would those nations be? Can you give us the, the, those nations that you would say that fit into this coalition? Um, the nations would be uh, Tibet, uh, which is really well known, East Turkestan, which is the homeland of the Uyghurs and the Kazakhs and all the other Turkic peoples in there, um, Southern Mongolia, uh, which is the, basically known as the Inner Mongolia in China, and Hong Kong as well. But also at the same time, we consider the rest of China as a captive nation as well, because if you're under the rule of the CCP, then I'm so glad you said that because I was going to get you on that. I was going to say you need to include the Han Chinese. They're <laughs> right, the right. first captive nation, aren't they? Right. They're the first captive nation. Absolutely, yeah. And um, what's interesting is you have people from all over the world suffering all sorts of abuses, ethnic cleansings. But if you ask them, what's been striking to me, what would you say is the biggest problem? I've been asking folks. They all say the CCP. It's interesting that that it seems to be that there's an understanding that the CCP is at the heart of so much 
uh, abuse around the world? Well, absolutely. That's that's absolutely the answer because if you, we can talk about the specifics of what went on right within a genocide. But we can't deny the fact that the principles that are driving all of these horrific things from happening from the way beginning is actually created and formulated by the Chinese Communist Party. You see, the reason why they do this is very simple, is to assault, assert control, but also at the same time make their uh, ideology the center of the world. Henceforth, uh, sort of following the word Zhongguo, which means the middle kingdom, right? That China was named for, for thousands of years. But what the Chinese Communist Party is doing is that they're using that in order to uh, make themselves the center of the world and also at the same time export uh, their um, principles and, and practices to make sure that it becomes the norm. And and therefore, becoming and that's really frightening. Yeah. Because I remember I was chairman of the College Republicans at the University of Hawaii in the mid '90s, early '90s, when um, there was talk about MFN for China and the General Agreement on Trades and Tariffs, and we were told China would become more like us. But ha- ha- but now we look back and we see the world, not just the United States. And I was meeting with some representatives from South Korea today, and they were explaining to me how the South Korean government cracks down on groups that speak out against China in South Korea. Right. And look at how wrong we were. Right. We thought that opening up uh, the w- you know opening up the WTO, opening up the U.S. market, our free market, where uh, every individual could have been value for their labor, right, um, was actually open to all these thugs, and that's what they are, thugs, like inhumane thugs, who basically manipulated our system, ended up stealing a bunch of our intellectual properties, uh, manipulating um, uh, their numbers so that um, they'll, their economy would eventually outpace us, right? Um, it's gotten way worse, and not only that, they have used this free market platform in order to assert more control in China, therefore becoming a lot more authoritarian, but also forcing the countries around them to do its bidding, right? South Korea is definitely has become one of them, um, unfortunately, under the Moon Jae-in regime. And this spreading to Australia, New Zealand? I Absolutely. mean, the crackdown is spreading. <laughs> Absolutely. But into the Anglosphere. Oh, yeah. Into, even in the Anglosphere. I mean, look at the spread of the Belt and Road Initiative where it has become sort of like a, uh, what a lot of people also call it the Belt and Loan Initiative, which is, which is basically uh, goes back to their principle of, uh, you know, pouring a bunch of money into uh, these, these third world countries where they can't pay back the money, obviously, and just pretty much taking over everything um, that they own and thereby losing their own sovereignty. I want to go back, because you're one of the world's greatest experts on this. I want to go back to what is the ideology? What is the ideology of the CCP? Well, quite simply put, Marxism, communism, but also I would even say um, an ideology that's driven by demonic factors. You think it's spiritual? There's definitely a spiritual component. I mean, if, if not, I personally, I do not believe that a regime or an individual can do all the things that they did 
such horrific things if there aren't any uh, spiritual uh, reasons behind it. That's what I firmly believe. Yeah. Right. Hitler actually proved that he was the follower of the occult. Right? Yeah. Thule society, at least influenced by the Thule society, yeah, obsessed absolutely. with the occult. Absolutely. So, so you have this 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 idea, and you know what's striking to me is you have a, a, a an apparatus influenced by this ideology, um, but the men the, and women that are that are at the levers of power in this apparatus, they were victims of the one child. They, they were they suffered forced abortions. The men, I don't care who you are, how powerful you think you are, your wife had a forced abortion, so they think I am this guy. And my wife, my daughter, my mother had to have all these forced abortions, their rights. So they have no respect, not even for themselves or for their family. They can't, how are they going to value an ethnic minority all the way in East Turkestan? Or how are they going to value an American citizen? And I just talked to a young Uyghur woman who you know, who's being threatened in the United States under our protection, being threatened daily, harassed relentlessly, that if this were an ex-boyfriend, uh, the police would swoop in on their house and they'd go to jail for harassment, terroristic threatening. She's being terroristically threatened by a foreign state in this country. Really unbelievable. Well, it's from a regime of people that their, their wives were forced to have abortions. Their mothers, their sisters, well, they don't have sisters. Think of that. Right. Exactly. Well, I think the easiest answer to all of this is that that is what makes the regime even more demonic. That is what makes the issue a lot more serious than we've realized. You see, they will do what they have to do. They will be what they have to be. But the bigger question is, what are we going to do about it? Mm. I think that's the biggest question. These people will, will, will do all these horrific things. But unfortunately, if I can sort of step side a little bit, their practices are being imported here into the United States, right? Yeah, Prince Harry just came out. And Meghan, is that her name? I'm yeah. embarrassed to say. <laughs> yeah. Meghan Merkel? Yep. Or I don't know. Yeah. Uh, that, that's shameful. I don't know. I don't follow pop culture. They come on, I change the channel. Right. That redheaded guy from England and his girlfriend from America, or wife, yeah. said they're only going to have two children. Right. Did you hear about this? Oh, yeah, I heard about it. But, you know, honestly. This is the ideology of China being mouthed into the heart of the Anglosphere from British royalty. Unbelievable. Well, well, uh, Who is the, the British member of the British royal family that sympathized with the Nazis? To me, this is exactly the same thing. Well, you know, if they did that, if they did that you know, out of uh, their sympathy or connection with the ideologies of the Chinese Communist Party, that just also shows how serious this issue is, right? That just also shows um, how this issue has not only invaded into, the, into, into lands where we were at, we were at one point um, exporting the ideology of freedom around the world, and yet we've become a country where, unfortunately, we ha- we've been exporting these, uh, I- importing these, um, I'm sorry, importing these um, ideologies that eventually cause genocide, destroy individuals' freedom, right, and destroy the very foundations, the constitutional values of this country, right? And when individuals also end up accepting all of that, right, then what's going to happen is it's going to impact their communities. Their communities are going to impact um, pretty much uh, their state, and soon enough, it'll be the country, right? So, look, the solution is simple. Okay. The solution is we need to accept the fact that the Chinese Communist Party is not a government. 
it's 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 a thug regime, right? A transnational criminal organization that caused the first person I heard that used that when we first met, and right. that, I, that's it. They are a transnational criminal organization, right. and and also the other the other uh, the other thing that we have to do as as true Americans or as as all freedom loving uh, people, because I'm 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 an immigrant from South Korea. There were U.S. servicemen that gave their lives so that I have the rights that I have. You know, I, I, was, give, I was given all these rights. And, and I think the solution is we need to evaluate our own values. We need to evaluate what we believe in. But also at the same time, we need to, do, we need to be damn sure that we protect the constitutional values that we have in this country as Americans and as freedom-loving uh, people. Because I will tell, uh, and, and I, I will say this one thing. Okay, you, so you, say it again. So we got to protect our, we have to protect our form of government. Yes, our form of government. They cannot encroach on our traditional liberties. Absolutely not, absolutely not. And we do that by being consistent with our constitutional values. We also do that by keeping the community together. There's a, there was a hell of a lot of division, actually, in the in the country that and we're not divided let's come americans what do we disagree on exactly for real what do we disagree on exactly we don't we essentially we at the end of the day if we set everything aside we as americans have proven that we can be together right you're, you have a European ancestry. I have an Asian ancestry. One of my best friends, he's, uh, he has an African ancestry. His, his parents are from Senegal, right? I, I have friends who are from Honduras, right? All of us can come together at a dinner table. All of us can, if we, if we can all come together and have a nice conversation and be friends or even die for each other, right? Um, whether it's in service or, or, in, or in some other circumstances, we can sure as hell protect the values that it, it exists here in the United States. And let's stop pretending we're divided because yeah. it's a joke. Absolutely. Enough with the, the year of LARPing. Yeah, exactly. The LARPing is over. Absolutely. It's, it's, we're not a divided people. Absolutely. Never in the history of our country have we been really more united. Exactly. The scapegoating and virtue signaling is embarrassing and ridiculous yeah. and... We need to stop pretending because there are real serious. Pro- I think we're doing that yeah. to distract ourselves yeah. from the real serious problems that we face abroad. Absolutely. So let's create some problems at home, yeah. so we don't have to look outside the window. Exactly. And and you know that's that's the most unfortunate thing because <clears throat> one of your guests that came earlier, Calvinor. We have folks like that here in this country that are willing to testify to every every American of what could happen under a totalitarian regime. She cannot even pray as a Muslim back home. Her, her sister is paying the price for that. If we let these things happen, right? And some might say, well, that's ridiculous. That could never happen here. Well, guess what? If you let these things Encroach slowly. You know, I was arrested last year, put in a police car, held there for three hours, thrown into a jail cell, and never charged with anything because I participated in a rally. See? Well, so we should never say never. And to me, it was a joke, um, but it's really not a joke. No, and, and it, it's not. And it could definitely happen. Until, unless we wake up to that reality, we will never, ever be able to fully combat the real threat that's outside, which is the Chinese Communist Party. And by the way, we participate in that woman's family's misery because the Uyghur are 
make working for American brands through distribution partners. Yeah. This is a fact. Yeah. So all of us, if we were to take a blue light yeah. and run it through our house, yeah. there would be, it would look like a crime scene. Right. If we were to see all the products that we have in our house at the hands yeah. of people from captive nations or in forced labor were involved in producing, wouldn't they? Right. Absolutely. It would be like a CSI scene. Absolutely. And, and look, we, we, we start and we do that by loving each other as a country, loving each other as Americans, and also loving the values that helped us all come together as a people. And, and some might say, okay, well, we tried. How do you do, how, how, how else should we try? My answer is, listen to the people of the captive nations. Listen to their stories and see what you can, at least... Do you collect those stories for people? Like if people go to your website or how how do we hear those stories? Absolutely. Um, On uh, presentdangerchina.org, there is a common of stories available there. And then there's another story um, by another gentleman named Furkan Jadwa. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So so look, the evidence is there, right? But also at the same time, let me be a a bit spiritual here, is that... The Lord gives us an opportunity continuously to look towards the light. And testimonies like this are an opportunity for all of us who love the Constitution to educate ourselves and to do the right thing. And it only takes, what, 10 minutes of your time? to really reflect on this. How many Americans, though, get degrees from in political... I got a degree in political science from the University of Hawaii. We never read the Constitution. We never <laughs> read the Federalist Papers. Yeah. You know, I'm reading F- Sig- uh, Freud's Civilization of Discontent, Rousseau, and la, la, la. Yeah. Never even the Federalist Papers. What are those? What's the Constitution? Um, you know me, Park. Yeah. She, a uh, North Korean dissident, left at 13, yeah. crossed the Gobi Desert. She made a, a very controversial video. A controversial video. Yeah, she said that um, the woke ideology at our, our elite universities is crazier than the ideology of North Korea. And then she went on. This is what I want to ask you: to just talk about the founding fathers and the Constitution with like, like she discovered Atlantis. Right. How old were you when you moved here? I was nine years old. You were nine years old. How old were you when you kind of discovered the Constitution? How did you see it? Or how do you see our form of government that we don't see? What do you see that we don't see? So I'll tell you a very interesting story. I was not... I was not pro-U.S. at all, and up until the start of college. Interesting. I, I actually, I actually thought that China was going to be the next big thing, right? I didn't really, I you know, because I actually hung around with a lot of people who were uh, in the extreme left, as I would call it, right? Uh, people who didn't as a really kid. value. Yes, honestly, because you know, it's even in high school, you know, I was, uh, I was, I was among the crowd that, you know, just didn't really value, didn't see the value of loving the United States, right? But then when I came to college, right, just like Yunmi, I I got in touch, actually. Well, it, it started by me getting in touch with uh, the victims of the CCP, right? How did you get in touch with them? Well, I, I met with a few uh, Falun Gong practitioners. I also by accident? Met, like you are just walking through the park? Or? Yeah, I was, actually, I was actually walking through the streets of Flushing in the, in, in the dead <laughs> of the winter, right? See, it works, right. guys. Right. It works. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I talked to them. I also read memoirs by Tiananmen Square Massacre survivors, right? Have you read The Courage to Stand Alone by Wei Jianxing? That book set my hair on fire. I... I have not, but I, you know, this, that's, that, uh, like those books, you know. Yeah, that book, I read that in college, changed my life. Absolutely.
absolutely. And, and you know, it's and and again, it goes back to what I said um, earlier: is that if you take the time mm. to read and even give the voice. See, here's the thing about here's the thing about this woke crowd, right? One challenge that I have for our generation, at least, is that if you truly stand for for stand for justice, then one of the things that you definitely have to do, right, in order to be consistent with what you believe in, if you really do believe in that. Sacrifice a bit of your time to listen to those who have been victims of uh, authoritarianism, of communism, of the Chinese Communist Party. That is going to change. Your, I, I, I sincerely believe that that will change your life. They will change their lives, right? Because, and I'll tell you a very phenomenal story. I actually, I actually organized the first Uyghur event um, at the University of Rochester about two years ago. Okay. I didn't expect this, but slowly but surely, students, even from mainland China, were coming up to me and saying, "You know, this is never allowed in China, right?" And after your talk, we actually did some research. We actually did some、um, reading of our own, and you know what they said to me? They said we actually found the value of having the opportunity to freely think for ourselves from your event. Yeah, and then they said this. They also said that you know. We actually found the value of your constitution. How great is this? How, how great! This constitution is unbelievable. Absolutely, it is unbelievable. It is. It's it, unbelievable. The Bill of Rights, the Constitution, the framing it all around the Declaration、exactly. principle. How privileged are so? When did you? When did this? When did it? Like the light bulb go off for you? Well, after after I've. I've read and met all these dissidents, right? Okay. Every single one of them had one thing in common: is that they value their presence in the United States. And I thought to myself, if people like that can value such a simple thing like being here, right? Riding a car in in the middle of Virginia or buying something at a grocery store, right? Then maybe it's worth checking out, right? Why they value it. And it just moved me to it, tears, right? It just moved me to tears with the fact that, firstly, I I felt extremely stupid because all these things were in front of me, yet I didn't realize how valuable they were. You came here at nine. You were an American kid, like any other American kid, right? <laughs> like you couldn't see it. No, you just it was like air and water. It's、yeah. just natural. Exactly. And and you know, part of it I blame it hugely on the media because when the Beijing Olympics was happening, right? I was sort of like that Beijing Olympic generation where. China looked like heaven on earth, right? They were putting on such a great show, and you know, as a kid, when I watched that, I said, I said to myself, I want to go there someday. I want to experience everything that this communist party have created. Whoa! Yeah. So it wasn't you were reflexively like sort of pro-China. It was like communism. Yeah. CCP communism created this because look, everything looked spectacular, right? Everything looked amazing, right? But then when I realized. This is this is all for show, right? And、yeah. so many lives were lost because of it, right? I felt extremely embarrassed. I also felt extremely sorry because of the fact that you know, my that 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 time where I could have where I was I was marveling at the CCP, I could have maybe used it to pay more attention to the victims of it, <laughs> right? And. And the sad thing is, right? I was in a country where I can research. By the way, your、that. family was a victim of the CCP. 
No, I was not. My, my family was not. My grandfather actually. That's your family, though. Right. My grandfather actually, um, during the Korean War, right? Yeah. His, um, you know, his, um, and, and my grandmother as well, um, they were all victims of communist aggression, right? So when the Chinese communists. Well, that's the CCP, my brother. Exactly. When the Chinese communists came down, right, which actually ruined the plans for Korean unification, right? Um, my grandfather and my grandmother's village were actually taken over by the communists. And my and they they use my grandmother as a house slave almost and you know they they also use my grandfather to do all of their all their chores and stuff like that right basically taking out a man's dignity right and so i implore all americans i implore everybody in a free country to please see the light the ccp and, is at war with us exactly They're, we are we are in war with them and the phenomenal thing that they did is well, i don't know if our government's at war with them the ccp is at war with us but we as free people need to fight back absolutely and and we and you know we have an obligation because think about it if you're given all this opportunity if you're given all these tools to 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 combat them and you do not use them i believe on judgment that you're going to be asked about that you're gonna. I'm pretty sure. And and here's the thing. If I'm on Judgment Day, if 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 the Lord asks me, why didn't you do anything? Why? What did you do in this time of crisis? I want to have a good answer for him. Because not only is he a loving God, but he is he is he is somebody that also holds us accountable, because he he believes in us. We are his great creation. Going back to the CCP, they're the direct opposite. They don't. Governments are supposed to be a reflection of, of the Lord's values, right? Where you, you respect every individual's rights and their existence. CCP does not do that. If a million people die in China, they don't care, right? When the dam broke and the uh, Three Gorges Dam broke back in uh, back last year, right? And it and it ruined the lives of all these farmers. Did they care? No. Matter of fact, they're the ones that they're the ones that send it to all these villages, right? All the waters to flow into these poor villages, so that it won't it won't flow into these rich areas. That's the reality of the CCP. So if you value freedom, if you value justice, if you just value just being able to live here freely, then one of the least things you can do is to educate yourself on. on and if you're a leftist, yeah. If you value the environment, yeah. Absolutely. If you value ethnic minorities, yeah. Then the CCP is where you need to face exactly and march toward exactly because they're they're they're, just, they're reckless towards the environment, thoughtless to their po- a generation that destroys its own child. I mean, a, a a regime that targets the child in the womb, its own children, has thoughtless to its posterity, so it's thoughtless to the environment. Yeah, yeah, and and you know and you know by having victims here in our country, we're also obligated to act right. So many victims weren't even born yet were the victims of CCP, right? Forced abortions. There's so many mothers out there who have lost their children. Great creation of God, right? That were lost just because the government thought that you shouldn't be having those children, right? For quote-unquote economic reasons. And now they're approaching a point right. where they're going to be coercing women to have children. Right. They went from one child to two child, now to three child, to the lifting it, to yeah. the next will be coercive pregnancy, exactly. which we had prior to. Yeah. The forced abortion, we had coercive pregnancy. And this is, again, thoughtless to the interests of the human person. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's individual individual rights are not given by any man but by God. And we must respect that. And, and honestly, um, you know, for, for, for anyone who is not spiritual, right, 
I would also say this is that doesn't matter because we all need to live in freedom. We all deserve to live in freedom. And especially, and when when those who are suffering under oppressive regimes come and tell us about the values of freedom that we have, right? Everyone, spiritual or not, we all need to unite together to combat this evil. And you know, I want to go back to when you were in high school. Yeah, I'm excited about China's future when it's freed from the CCP. Yeah, when it ceases to be a captive nation. China, Iran, when China, when Iran is free, Turkey's free. Though, so, I, I mean, if. If we see freedom erupt in China and right. erupt in Iran and Turkey, the, the world, it's just going to, for our children and grandchildren, is going to be beautiful. The prosperity, the technology, the energy, the excitement. And, um, but if we see the opposite, we see this spread of illiberalism, yeah. uh, it's going to be a very, very dark world. It's going to be a dark world that's beyond our imagination. And that's what's scary about it. We can't even think about it, right? But on the other hand, if they all become free, you know what's one of the best things about that is? The best thing is that these children, the new generation that are born into this new society, will be able to hear from their parents of the oppression that they went through. Mm. And will at least have an opportunity to make sure that it does not happen again. See, we all live by experience. We also live by the testimony of those who have lived with, who have lived before. We did. And imagine a generation that actually values history, that actually values freedom, because of what they heard from the last generation. That's the type of world that we have, and I hope to God that it comes soon. I'm excited. Well, what were we saying yesterday? Not on our watch. Yeah, not on our watch. Not on our watch. And, uh, you know, I've shared this story on the podcast a few times. My grandfather fought in the Korean War, fought in World War II. But we weren't allowed to talk about Korea. Tim, did I ever tell you this story? No. We weren't allowed to talk to my grandfather about the Korean War. Yeah. And um, I was just trained. You know, if you bring up the Korean War with grandpa, you're in trouble. So it never, just never came up. Yeah. Brought it up once. Mash was on. I'm like, Grandpa, you fought in that same war, right? And my dad, whoops. Um, don't bring up the Korean War. But on my grandfather's deathbed, I was crying. And I was with him as he was dying. And, and, and he said, you know, don't cry for me. If you must cry, cry for all the young men I saw die as a soldier. And I said, Grandpa, you know, all the, the young men you saw die in World War II? And he said, yeah, you know, you can cry for them. So I saw men die in World War II. He said, but... But right now, and this is my grandfather's death, but right now I'm thinking about Korea. Right. And he said, and, and I said, think of all those American boys you saw die in Korea. And he says, American boys, Korean boys. Then my grandfather just began to look off, and he began to cry. Right. And he said, and all those Chinese boys, they sent so many Chinese boys at us with no weapons. So many. And my grandpa began to cry. Right. Is to cry for them too. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so my grandfather was so scarred by that war, he was a victim of the CCP. Absolutely. The, the, the grandchildren and the, those, of, you know, those whose great aunts and great uncles were, were thrown at the Americans, yeah. those Han Chinese, they were victims of the CCP. Your father and mother were victims of the CCP. My wife's Chinese. Her, her mother and father were victims of the CCP, and then my father-in-law died of the CCP virus. Right. And he had to flee China in 1949 when it fell. 
And now China, this, this, this thug, the thug regime is waging a war, right. first on its own people, and then its, its closest neighbors, and now it's waging a war in our neighborhoods. But not on our watch. Not on our watch. Not on our watch. Look, we all became victims of the CCP in one way or the other, right? But also, if going back to the unity part, if anything unites us, maybe it's that. Maybe we can use that as a unification factor and, and let it become a stepping stone in understanding the values of our freedom. Values of our democracy. We discover what we're fighting for. Exactly, and so that so that so that the work, great work, great sacrifice, like the ones that your grandfather did, does not go to waste. It's not in vain. Well, uh, is there anything you want to end with? I think um, I, I do want to end with the fact that you know, when I say God bless America, there's a lot of great um, meaning behind it, in my opinion, because. This is a blessed nation. This is a nation that came out in a world that knew nothing but you know, monarchy and, and so many troubles that were going on. But our founding fathers stepped up and said, enough is enough. We will make sure that in this country, all individuals will at least have the right or an opportunity to hold their governments accountable, to hold themselves accountable so that they can be the best they can be as individuals that were created by God. And so if, if I can leave with that, that's, that's the message that I have for my fellow Americans. And I, and, and, and I would like everyone to say every day, I, it's a challenge that I, I would like to say. Right? Okay, here we go. Please... If, if everyone is available, if everyone is able, please say the word God bless America, right? God bless America every yes, day. We every day. Say and God also, bless America. And you know what? Also, you know, even if there are those that disagree with us, right? Be friendly, right? Let's unite as a nation. Because at the end of the day, whether we like it or not, we are a family. We are a family under, under the great flag that's unfortunately being taken down for multiple reasons these days. But that flag still stands, at least in my heart, at least in the hearts of so many patriots out there. Let's be kind to each other. Let's also be firm in our beliefs. And let's also unite as a country and show the CCP that stuff like this will spread all around and we will we'll be damn sure to, that their influence does not spread all throughout the world. Sehun Kim, thank you so much. Our Uyghur for that got me inspired. Our Uyghur friend earlier said that the CCP, I listened to the messages they sent her. She translated to them for me. They call her. They go, you're a nobody. We are a country of nobodies. Exactly. We are a country of riffraff. We are a country founded by pirates and, and scofflaws and peasants and serfs. And we built in less than 250 years the most powerful, vibrant nation in the world. So as a country of riffraff, we need to be in solidarity with the people that the people in power call nobodies. Exactly. And when those nobodies are freed, the world is going to go, the energy, imagine if the energy, the, the, the economic, the creative energy that's released in this little republic of ours spreads. That freedom spreads. What's going to come from China? What's gonna, it's going to be un, unimaginable. Well, well uh, just a short story is that the United States was the beacon of hope for many years, right? Yes. So we can be that again. That's and that's and and you know that's 
that makes it such an ever more an exciting time for us to be alive. And so, you know, it's your generation because it's wavering right now, right? Absolutely, yeah. The flag is like falling to the. You're going to pick it up, absolutely. and it's not going to fall. Not on our watch. Sehun Kim, I took a lot of your time. This is two hours into the show, and uh, we had some great interviews. When is it? We got we got some more events coming. I don't know when yes, the next sir. event is. So, uh, I'm going to wrap this up, and we'll see, uh, see you soon. Sehun Kim, so God bless you. All right, everybody. Oh, what's the website? One more time. Present Danger China. Org. That's easy to remember. PresentDangerChina.org. Check it out now. Bookmark it. Go back later. Listen to the stories of the folks from the captive nations. Share those stories. Um, guys, so listen, I'm going to tell you again, we had a lot of great interviews. Thank you for listening to all two hours. Um, if you listen to all two hours, even if... I want everyone listening right now, if you wish you could be here, you can be here. You can be a part of what we do every day. Go to thegreatcampaign.org. Uh, become a monthly donor. All monthly donors uh, that come in this week, uh, a monthly donor of any amount, you get a free copy of my book, The Jason Jones Show. It's our monthly donors that sustain the show. And if you could give us a, uh, a one-time gift right now, we have a lot of needs this week, and we're really uh, behind the curve on fundraising. So go to thegreatcampaign.org and uh, join us as we stand in solidarity with the most vulnerable people in the world. Also, um, remember, in the coming days, we're going to break these interviews up so you get to hear each guest separately so you can share them separately. And you can share this whole show now. And I hope to have time to bookmark it. Um, but I want to get to a lot of these lectures, a lot of these sessions. Um, this has been an amazing summit, the IRF Summit in Washington, D.C. at the lovely Omni Shoreham Hotel. All right. I am tired, guys, and hungry. And there's some talks I want to go here. So I'm going to race off to those until next time. This is the Jason Jones Show. And as always, I forgot to mention our sponsors brought to you by Movie to Movement. Go to movietomovement.com. And there is a great special on the Giza Dream Sheets. My Pillow has been a great sponsor to us. And right now, they're going to hook you up. It is a two-for-one special on Mike Lindell's wonderful Giza Dream Sheets. Uh, they use a cotton that comes only from uh, Israel, a place called Giza. They're amazing sheets. This is like the first time I've done like the proper ad for the Giza Dream Sheets. So go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square, and get your sheets, all right? And there are deep discounts on all the other products. Till next time, it's the Jason Jones Show. This has been the Jason Jones Show, powered by Mudhouse Media.